this week on Invasion of the Podcast. I have some things to say before we get to the episode. That's what's going on. So first, I want to thank my wife, Mary, for coming on the show last week, talking about the Haunted Mansion, the 2003 one. It was a wonderful conversation, and it was you know a lovely time. So, of course, like that's why I married her. And, and second, um, continue on with the Year of Carpenter, which is what this episode is going to be. I'm having my co-host from Strange Highways, Terry, on, which he was on previously to talk about vampires. Um, and we had a wonderful conversation. And because of that, uh, you figured we'd go on to the next um, part of Carpenter's career, which is the Master Horror series that he did, the two episodes for Showtime, Cigarette Burns and Pro-Life. Uh, with that being said, uh, Terry and myself on the other show that we do, like I said, Strange Highways, we have already covered Cigarette Burns back. Uh, we did it in December of 2021. So I figured instead of like retreading that information and going through it, uh, for those that may not have listened to that episode, then I'm including that episode in this episode to start. And then we then have a, you know, a fresh conversation about pro-life. So with that being said, uh, if you've already listened to our talk about cigarette burns, then, then skip ahead to about, uh, where am I at here? Time-wise we're about, you know, an hour, 15, 16, 17 minutes in or so. And then we'll pick up with our discussion of pro-life. Um, and if not, then enjoy. Um, so yeah, without, uh, any further ado, I'll shut up. So that way I could talk, uh, in the past, and then in the not-so-recent past, and whatever. Anyway, so next week, though, um, we're going to have um, a Jeff from uh, the Skewed Universe podcast on and Trevor from the Theater War podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, the Peacock series, Twisted Metal. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But for now, let's get into some Year Carpenter with both of his Masters of Horror uh, uh, outings and stuff. Later. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. Another year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. And welcome to Strange Highways, I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Uh, the, the last show we did on Strange Highways, we talked about the Devil's Reign. We had our friend James on. Uh, you know, Ernest Borgnine was a goat man. It got weird. Uh, Ernest, or Ernest Borgnine as a goat man wasn't here with us, but we talked about him as a goat man. I feel like he was here. Yeah, we, we felt his presence. The, the spirit of Borgnine is always with us. And it's actually, <laughs> it, since we are in December, a happy Borgnine to you as well. I don't know what that means. Uh, but... Uh, so we did take another week off from the show. Uh, we, we promised that we're not going to like do this one again, off again. Like, you know, we're committed to you guys. We love you. Like, stay with us. We can change. No, <laughs> um, we're going to like, I believe we're actually going to go all the way through December. We have like what, five weeks or something before we get to the new year before, uh, before we get into the eighties twilight zone. So, uh, we've been doing our detours after finishing the original series. This is a twilight zone podcast. Um, you know, if you look back the last couple episodes, that may not be evident. However, go back. We have five seasons worth of, sorry, seven seasons worth of Twilight Zone stuff to get into. Uh, five from Rod, two from Jordan Peele. Go check that out. 
Um, with all that being said, Terry did come on the other show that I do uh, last week before um, Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a good holiday. And we went to talk about the cinematic classic, Chopping Mall. So I'd highly recommend going over there. It's, it's, a, it's a little longer episode than we normally do here because it was just five, uh, five idiots, five friends talking about Chopping Mall. Mall experiences. One of us actually was a mall, like um, third shift security guard. And he had some stories. Go check that on Invasion of the Podcast. It's episode 299. Uh, and we also had some Black Friday deals that, you know, have since elapsed. But you should go check that out anyway. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, prepare yourself because uh, you know it's it's a long episode too. Because it's, it's but it's a lot of fun. I had a, a great time on there. Thank you for inviting me on, Paul. And uh, of course, uh, Steve is always uh, gracious to have uh, invited me into his home, his domain that is the vision of the podcast. I think you're going to say strange highways. I'm like, that's yeah, sure. Everybody owns this one. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so so here we are again. We're like so we're still taking a detour. Um, we had talked after the Devil's Reign that uh, we'd be getting into the Masters of Horror series. Um, this was something that um, I I have only seen the one episode, which is we're getting into season one, episode eight, John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns. I had seen this previously, but in terms of the series itself, I have not actually seen any of the other episodes of Masters of Horror. I know, Terry, are you more familiar with this? I am. Yeah, there's some really good episodes. Um, it's something I've kind of like dipped in and out of the show. I didn't watch it when it uh, initially aired, but there is some really good stuff here. Uh, Pelts is a really interesting episode. With, uh, Meatloaf is in that one. So if anybody gets a chance to watch Pelts. I thought you were going to say Meatloaf was the name of an episode. I'm like, okay. There is I, some Meatloaf in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, check check out Pelts. Uh yeah, I think we might revisit this. We'll see. Oh, for sure. Um, no, like, because this was Mick Garris. He actually was the guy who kind of put it together. Yep. Um, I do like, according to the Wikipedia, so like like I have this knowledge because I don't. I'm just reading the internet right now that um, at one point Garris invited some people out to dinner. And so uh, the, among them were John Carpenter, Larry Cohen, Don Coscarelli, Joe Dante, Guillermo del Toro, Stuart Gordon, Toby Hooper, John Landis, Bill Malone, and Mick Garris. And uh, they had a lot of fun. And I, I, it looks like Del Toro at one point actually wished somebody nearby a happy birthday from the Masters of Horror. As he, like, and so that kind of just stuck in Garris's head. And he got this put together where he's like, let's just get a lot of big names. And then also later on, uh, you end up getting our Dario Argento, Eli Roth, Wes Craven, Cronenberg. Um, I should say David Cronenberg because there's two of them now making movies. Because hmm. um, his son. Yeah, his not, son. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Zombie, uh, Tim Sullivan, Brian Singer. Uh, we won't talk much about him anymore. Uh, Fred Decker, uh, William Lustig. There's a lot of names being brought into this, right? So, yeah, um, there's um, this. This seems like this was like the right playground for these people to do like one hour films. And for Showtime, meaning there was a little bit of a budget at the time because this did come out um, in like 2005 to 2007. Uh, so <clears throat> we still we weren't quite at like the big streaming thing now. So it was still kind of cable, premium cable, right? Um, so there was a little bit of a budget. You're bringing a lot of creative people together and just letting them do their own thing and calling the masters of horror. You kind of call your shot. So I think it's a really cool experiment. It, it was, it was great to see that Mick Garris did this. Uh, and it, it, what you just said was completely true. Uh, that, uh, for he, once, I got something right on the yeah. show. Yeah, hooray. So Mick Garris has his own podcast. Uh, there's no affiliation here, but I, I want to put this out there. If anybody likes Mick Garris uh, and the things that he does, he's a very talented guy. He seems like a really cool dude, too. He has a podcast called Postmortem. 
uh, I I absolutely adore listening to it. He brings some of the most influential and intelligent people when it comes to horror onto the podcast to talk about the genre itself. And it is just it is awesome to hear uh, his insight into all of the things he's done. And like him being attached to this, like, you know, he is a true fan of the genre. And when he put this together, he, he it was kind of like by happenstance because of that. And it just manifested in such a way that, like, he he's like, well, I guess I'm going to have to do this yeah. because, like, it's fan service to myself and then everybody else who you, loves you the genre. All these people that are known for what they're what they're good at, right? Well, let me, sorry, they they've had they've they've done great things in horror that they're remembered for because I don't want to like pigeonhole these guys in just horror, right? Yeah. Like, um, but like, and this is also something they love, so it's like, yeah. All right, hey, 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 what if we give you an hour and you get to go just be weird and do your own thing? Like this was this was really fertile ground, um, and this is a series I do want to like get more into. Um, I do remember at the time when I was working at Blockbuster, uh, Ash Parents, it was a thing um, that a lot of these were actually put out as like like either like individual discs or like two part, like one and two, like you know. And I remember the cover art. Mm. Um, so it's like, I remember seeing a lot of the cover art for a lot of this because this was also around the same time. What was the name of that uh, film series it was like, um, eight shocking films or whatever it was that was put out. Oh, uh, eight. Yeah. I know uh, after the after dark film fest or what was called yeah. something like that. Um, they, they was the ones that also, they'd come out around this time. Cause that was like, I think Fangoria or somebody actually had those films. Like it was, you could tell they're trying to get like shelf space by putting some of this out. Like, you know, the fear itself series. That, there well, was that too. Well, that ties into this too, but there was, um, there was, I think uh, Fangoria supported a series of films at the time that they'd put out that all had kind of similar like boxes, but the art was a little different, but that's neither here nor there. Fear itself, actually funny that you mentioned that after, um, Masters of Horror did not get picked up for a third season. Mick Garris went over to NBC and was like, Hey, I got this thing. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I can't call it Masters of Horror. Like, well, what if you just call it fear itself or whatever? And so it ran for, it was only 10 episodes. I think and only five of them actually broadcast. Yeah. So he was a little bit more hampered uh, during that production uh, production. Well, that. Cause that was like, like basic cable and also NBC. I'm sure it was like, we have notes. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so that was a spiritual sequel to this. Right. Um, so yeah, I just remember a lot of the shelf space being ta- taken up by this kind of stuff and that was okay. It's just, I don't know, sometimes working at a video store and I didn't mean to get into this conversation when you're putting movies away and you're around them all the time, sometimes a lot of the cover art or art styles kind of blur after a while and you're like, I have no interest in any of this. And it's not, it's not a knock against national horror. It's just like, you could tell if art styles and like, <laughs> There's, you kind of, you kind of get like this point of like, I'm good. I don't like you, you are aiming at a certain audience and I don't know if I'm that. Um, and that's nothing against master horror and that's neither here nor there. So anyway, um, so with that being said, like I said, the season one, episode eight, uh, air date, uh, 12, 16, 2005. Um, I was going to look up day and date stuff, but like the number one song was a Chris Brown song. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to celebrate Chris Brown. So let's just move right on from there. Moving (laughs) along. Yep. (laughs) So. Um, who do we have doing what here? All right. So obviously you mentioned uh, Mick Garris being the creator of this. He was also the executive producer or one of them. There was a lot of executive producers on this series. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if anybody wants to investigate uh, Mick Garris a little bit more, uh, he, you know, he is attached to uh, Sleepwalkers and he wrote, uh, he directed uh, Psycho 4 
and he also uh, did like countless other films, and like he's just he's all over the place. He he wrote some of the episodes and directed one of the episodes of Amazing Stories as well. Like that's kind of how he got his start as a director too. So check out uh, Mick Garris's uh, filmography. He seems like a really great guy. Like I said earlier, uh, and then our director here is uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but uh, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Halloween? Yeah. Anybody heard of Halloween? Well, I mean, there was that one that came out this year, right? Is that the same? I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's John Carpenter, and it's like it's Terry and I, one of our favorite directors, creators of all time, right? And as much as we're gonna we're gonna say that, I'm also gonna openly admit that I've not seen his entire um, work, like, but. You know, but the ones that I have seen of his, like, uh, you know, you can. The thing. The thing to me is like a perfect movie. And again, it's how I feel about it. I'm not going to try to convince somebody otherwise. I don't see a single problem with that movie at all. No. It just, it it's just gets better and better each time I watch it. And we're going to um, see it again soon. We're going to see it this weekend, Woo. yeah, in, in the actual theater. Um, and I, I hope there's people there who have never seen it before. That'd be really funny. But um, no, so I, I adore that film. Um, we, You and I recently sat down, um, unrelated to any podcast, and watched Christine, which I think that's a really good film. And not maybe not one of his, um, yeah, I, I see your, uh, your Halloween 3. Um, yeah, I'm the, wearing my yeah. Halloween 3 silver yeah. shamrock shirt, which... I, I, yeah, that was his love child too. He had to have that, you know. Yeah. Like, it just I, the carpenter. Like, it just I, I'd say, I could say he could do no wrong, but he can do wrong. <laughs> you know, like, this is true. Like, I mean, he's he's human, right? But I just I love when when he when he's on, he is on. You yeah. know, like, and um, and knowing that this was like one of his last three directorial outputs that he did, because I see that he did another episode in season two of this called Pro Life, which I need to see now. Um, and then he went on to do the ward, which people have said is not great. And I remember watching at the time and thought it was okay. Um, there was some really interesting shots in there uh, not, you know, not his strongest work. And then he's directed some music videos and all he wants to do now is make music and smoke cigarettes, smoke cigarettes, play video games and eat chicken. That's all he wants to do. And I respect that. If you got to that point in your life where you're like, you know, as a creator, I'm good. I'm just going to make music and eat fried chicken and smoke cigarettes and play Call of Duty or whatever. That's cool. And do like, commentary on uh, a lot of different stuff, too. Like, yeah. he did a great commentary on Halloween for the super fancy uh, box set that Screen okay. Factory put out. Nice. And it's it's him and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's, it's, it's awesome. not, he doesn't. It's not that he distanced himself away from things. It's just that I think he just you hit a point where it's like, I don't want to do this this thing anymore. But you know what I mean? So like, if you also want, if you want to hear one of the funniest things ever, I mean, funny as it, it exists, go back and listen to the original commentary track for the thing with him and Kurt Russell, because Kurt Russell just laughs at everything that John Carpenter says, because he's clearly entertained by him. But just the amount of inherent smoking you hear, just, just smoking, just John Carpenter just, just going after it during this commentary. And, he just, and every time the hat, uh, McCready's hat shows up, they make a comment about it. Like, <laughs> It's just, I, we love Carpenter and, yeah. uh, <clears throat> total fanboys yeah. here. So yeah. Escape from LA is our favorite film of his. No, um, I'm kidding. But that's a, escape from LA. It's not terrible. Oh, Con- sure. Okay. It's not terrible. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm choking up. Just talking could about. be vampires. You know, uh, you know, like, or ghost of Mars. Eh, yeah, it's a, moving yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So we love, we love John Carpenter yeah. and the fact that you, he wanted, man. you wanted to bring this up. I'd seen, like I said, I'd seen this before years ago. 
Um, and I was glad to revisit it. So yeah, I, I also love it that anything he does has to have his name in front of it. Like even with this, it's like John, John Carpenter's cigarette burns, yeah. you know, like from his own yeah. cigarettes. And he puts, um, he put he was putting them out on the assistant director's head the entire time, you know, <laughs> so, bring, bring me chicken. Uh, right. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, into our writers, we go, Oh, I want to mention real quick music by Cody Carpenter. His son, this is the first, the first uh, outing that his son actually did the music for a production. So, and now that, because of the new Halloween films with David David Gordon Green, Cody is like a part of that as well, making the and music. Cody's a part of his band, so when they go on tour, yeah. they he actually performs the music with him as well. A very talented guy too; like he really knows how to do scoring really well. I mean, I'm sure his dad helped, but you know, with guidance. Yeah, he's like, listen, son, the only only instrument you're gonna learn how to play is a synthesizer. That's it. I'm cool with that's that. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like I was going to name you Moog, but that would have been weird. Moog Carpenter. But here you go. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, and our writers are uh, Drew uh, McQueenie. McQueenie. Yeah. McQueenie. Huh. Yeah. All right. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, you're like, huh. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to mention uh, the second writer on this here because uh, they co-wrote the other episode, Pro yes. Life, that you were talking about. but. Rebecca Swan. So they they seem to be a writing duel. Um, not a whole lot that they contributed to otherwise that I knew of, but the pro-life I know of. So. Yeah, so they... Um this gets a little complicated. Well, one Rebecca Swan was originally known like previously Scott Swan. Um, like they, you know, they have since transitioned. So I'm glad that we're like calling Rebecca by Rebecca's name. That's, that's good to, to, to point out. But in terms of Drew McWeenie, he used to write, this was years ago for ain't it cool news. Um, I don't know if you'd ever actually looked at that site. Uh, it used to be like one of the big like go-to places for like you know insider information of like, like cool stuff, right? And there was also a lot of people that write reviews. Um, he actually wrote under the pen name of Moriarty and actually had some pretty good reviews there. Um, other people that you might know is Robert C. Cargill used to write for Ankle News, and he's actually the co-writer of Sinister. Okay. And he's yeah. also um, co-writer of the first Doctor Strange film. Oh, cool. And he's actually the co-writer of that phone, that movie coming out, The Black Phone. That's coming out soon with Ethan Hawke. Um, okay. Yeah. So he, he used to write under that. Um, there's another gentleman. I forget his name off the top of my head, but he had the, the pen name of Capone and his, his reviews are amazing. And he's still out there doing reviews under like his actual name for like a Chicago trade. Anyway, any cool news used to be like this thing. Right. And then uh, over time, um, Harry Knowles, who is a piece of shit, uh, was found out to be a piece of shit. Um, so, the, the 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 thing here was supposedly when when McWeeny left, he was leaving Ain't Cool News to start something called Hitfix.com, and if you type it into a browser right now, it redirects you to um, what was it? Uprocks. So you can tell you how far Hit Hitfix went, right? So it got absorbed by Uprocks. Maybe he got bought out. I don't know. Uh, he hasn't written anything for a couple years for Uprocks, so I don't know what happened there with him in terms of his review output. The big thing is that there was some controversy. Because there was um, oh something that Harry wrote favorably of and didn't reveal that Drew had like actually been part of the production. So Harry was like broadcasting it on any cool news, and then it was found out later that like one of your contributors is actually part of this project. So it was kind of like a bad look. And I'm not saying Drew was a bad guy. You know, he might have gotten some you know exposure for his project because of that. And he did separate himself from Harry Knowles before 
the whole Alamo draft house, everything else kind of came out. Cause that whole, there's a whole thing there. If you want to go look a cesspool of, of guys being terrible to women, you can go find that. Harry Knowles is one of those assholes. So Anna Cool News is no longer what it once was. Um, but I just wanted to, like, that's why I knew the name Drew McWeeny because of Anna Cool News. And I just wanted to, I, just, I wanted to mention that just because I think it's important. Not that this taints this, but place and time, it's actually something I was aware of. And regards to Rebecca Swan, writer, like, you know, partner, writing partner with Drew McWeeny, um, the handful of things like you mentioned, I can't find too much else. Um, actually, other than, there was one thing here noticed um, for um, she is noted on Wikipedia as being the first transgender transgender screenwriter of a produced theatrical horror movie. Um, that's cool in terms of like you know we need more voices out there. Um, I you know that's that's what all I know about her. So yeah, and the, and the last thing they actually did was something called Skin and Bones, which was a on fear itself. So they had a tie to this with Mick Garris. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, that was a long way around. I apologize. I wanted. I thought it was important to bring up. So, yeah, no anyway. problem. Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to uh, expose a lot more information about the the writing duo here. Uh, I I wasn't familiar with anything else really that they had done. So, hey, big ups. Yeah. Um, so it's, well, because because I know that I don't have three Twilight Zone books now to dig into. So <laughs> like right. like there's gonna be times where I'm like I don't know stuff. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Things happen, and I'm just, and, I'm gonna be over here in the corner. Terry's gonna be talking. I'm gonna be like banging pots and pans together, and be like, "Is it good yet?" Like I don't know. I don't, like, uh, am I talking smart now? I, I, continue. <laughs> and we're also relying on the internet. So thank you, internet, for maybe being kind right. Of yeah, being, I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll so, see. Anyway. <laughs> we're waiting for those emails to come in. Um, so and then I want to make sure that I credit here the makeup and special effects crew. Uh, it's uh, mostly K and B. That did uh, nice. uh, the the production for the makeup and like special effects for the entire series. So if anybody knows K and B, they're attached to from everything from Walking Dead to like from Dust Till Dawn. Well, creep to Show, right? Creep Show, yeah. yeah, so, yeah so. Greg Nicotero being yeah part of the K and B, you know. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so it's um you know got to make sure we note that uh, because K and B is amazing. Uh, I got to visit one of the facilities uh, that the one of the uh, old members of KMB runs and it's awesome to see all that stuff. Uh, it's, it's such it's a treat. I mean, I don't know how budgets work out for practical effects, but there's times where I feel like they punch above their weight so much. Oh yes. And like I'm not saying that they don't put out quality product cause they do. Right. But in terms of like the work that they, they put out for some of these lower, lower budgeted projects. And it's like, and you, you never, you never look the way of the practical effects being the problem because KNB always brings it. So, right. And yeah. you know, they, they work with the little guy, they work with the, the big production companies and that like they don't, they don't discriminate. And that's, that's an amazing thing that, that, that company has always been able to bring to the table and that's their mission statement. I mean, like wonderful human beings and it, it's, it's, it's awesome to see them being a part of this as well. It's along with so many other things well, that we will discuss at some point. Didn't Nicotero get like when he was younger, he ended up working with Carpenter, right? Is that am I misremembering that? I might be misremembering. Uh, he did. He he's pretty much worked with like everybody. Is, they brought, like, the they brought in somebody young on the thing at one point because something happened with one of the the effects, and they had to have like, it was I think the head spider or something. No, that was uh, oh my god, uh, Steve. No, you're. Um, I'm getting I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. It's cool, but yeah, yeah it, because of um, 
Yeah, there was anyway, some, there were yeah. some production problems there, but yeah. anyway, sorry. I here, here, I went from being really really good to now just uh, falling on my keys. So continue. Who 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 are our our, our actors in this in the in the cigarette burns? All right, so we're not going to go as extensively into the cast as we have in the past uh, because there was a lot of cast members here. So there are two notable actors that I want to bring up and. Uh, be a little bit more deep divey on their uh, filmography. Uh, Norma Reedus is our our lead in this. He plays uh, Kirby uh, Sweetman. No, Sweetman. 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 <laughs> that sounds like a, a a Nintendo game. No, it just sounds like um like a Stan Lee's like Stan Lee's Sweetman. Like you know, <laughs> a, a ho ho delivery guy by day, a crime fighter by night. Sweet man, you know. Yeah. So, um, I think most Excelsior. people. Excelsior. Stop. <laughs> this is not that podcast. Um, most people would know Norman Reedus as being part of uh, Walking Dead as Daryl. Like, thank, thank Christ, huge. Because people huge. otherwise they'd know him from the Boondock Saints and. That can go die in a fire. Yeah, that's uh, just whatever. Uh, yep, he's in the Boondock Saints. You guys can you know, you can you can wah, at me, wah. meaning I am on Twitter, but I don't ever like I just post uh, Overwatch uh, clips there because I have no other way to post them. So you can at me on Twitter. It's uh, it's angry, it's Angry Blue Robot on Twitter. I, I never use it, but you can tell me I'm wrong about Boondock Saints, and I would uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna end up uh, showing you some Overwatch footage. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. It, get yeah. him, and then oh. while you're at it, find my tw- uh, Twitter that I made, and I can't even remember it, yeah. and then shun me too, because Boondock Saints is super overrated. I'll say this. The first half is pretty great, and then it just falls apart in the second half. I mean, pretty great as in the sense of like, okay, maybe you're going somewhere with this, and then it just falls apart. It's like, it's just so like... Anyway, and if you guys want to see a, a wonderful documentary about somebody destroying their life, it's called Overnight. It's about the guy who made Boondock Saints, Troy Duffy. The tagline for the documentary is called There's More More Than One Way to Shoot Yourself. And if you want to see a guy that had like everything handed to him and he found a way to just piss it all away, that's the documentary. <laughs> anyway. There's only yeah. one reason to see that damn movie or you know even that series as it's is kind of is now is Willem Dafoe yeah he's great there's a Willem third one Dafoe. third one supposedly in production now so Ugh. great so Norman Reedus will be part of that yeah Hooray. well you know I there I there's a reason I consider you my brother and it's this this conclusion of this movie yeah. like we do not like this movie so I'm sorry people if you'd like it but yeah, you know, just, that, I just feel like if, if you like the Boondock Saints then go watch a, a second movie that's what I'll say but <laughs> yeah. um no he's Norman Reedus is mainly known as Daryl was it Daryl on The Walking Dead yep. Like, I think he's grown as an actor. I think his performance here is 50-50, where there's sometimes it's pretty great, and other times where it's like, I don't think you did the line reading correctly at all in this, but whatever. It is what it is. Uh, also, I want to point out that he was uh, actually the main character recently in the the uh, PS4 exclusive title, the Hideo Kojima game, Death Stranding. Yeah. Um, and he's like, the, the, it's it's him. It's, it's Daryl. Yeah, it's I saw like, that. I was like, where man. he just walks around across, like, you know, delivering packages and then sometimes peeing into a bottle. It's pretty, it's, it's not, it's a game I don't want to play. And and then the last notable credit that I wanted to bring up was Blade 2 because, you know, Guillermo del Toro directed that. Can I admit something right now, Terry? Um, I've never seen a Blade movie. That's okay. <laughs> but you have to see the new Blade movie when it comes out because oh, yeah. it'll be canon. Well, no, no, everybody tells me that like, the the first two are pretty great, and they said the third one's garbage. I just I just never got to it. I don't know. I, I, I've never. You know. I, yeah, I own it. I, <laughs> this is probably one of those like uh, those sins as movie collectors. Like I I buy 
I buy uh, box sets, and then I have certain movies that are complete crap. <laughs> and it's like, what? What's the worst movie you have in your collection? It's like, well, I have a lot of bad. I movies. have Blade Three. No, um, like so. <laughs> so what? What do you think is the like the most important movie that you own that you've not watched? Important, like in terms of like people hold up as like this is a great movie. You know, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to struggle for an answer for myself because yeah, I buy. Wow, um, you you put me on the spot. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me think about that. Uh, so I, I will. I, here's one of the ones. I, I have Notorious, uh, Alfred Hitchcock film. I've not. I've that's not a seen wonderful. It. Fl- is it, have I seen Notorious? I, maybe I have. I, I, I've seen like a lot of. Hitchcock. I know that's highly yeah. regarded. Um, yeah, I think I've seen that one. It's uh, Gary Cooper, and yeah. Anyway, that's a good. It's a good movie. That's what I'm thinking of. A lot of his titles kind of follow the same thing. It's like Notorious, you know, Suspicion. Um, guy with knife. That's not one of his movies, but, um, the, one of the ones I own that I bought, like I just blind bought it. And I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch this. And I ended up winning the Oscar like two years ago was parasite. I still have not watched it. Yeah. Like, and I've heard nothing but great things. It's like, I rushed out and bought it. It's just sitting there. <laughs> you know, like I have, I have get out. I, yeah, I, I, I've never seen get out. Uh, well, there you go. So, but you also own blade. It's ruined for me. You also own blade Trinity. No, get you just watch it. No, it it's literally been ruined for me now. Like to somebody just. Like, I watched. Your- I watched a a film uh, documentary series, and it ruined the entire movie. No, I was like, it that's just, awesome. Thanks. No, just just go in for the ride. It's a great film, but <laughs> right. uh, yeah, it's like I don't know. Like, there's a stuff where it's like, well, Paul, what, what like you know, like what's the worst movies I own? I just well, right now I actually own a copy of. Um, New York Ninja that I'm meaning to get to that was like an unproduced 80s film that they um, finally put together and dubbed the audio. So who knows if that's going to be good or not, but I bought it blind. And you have Grizzly too, right? You own that, right? <laughs> but I've seen that. <laughs> um, God, okay, anyway, we're, this is going to go long. I just, anyway, ew. so here, here's the two recommendations. The big takeaways from tonight, everybody. Don't see Boondock Saints and do not watch Grizzly Two. Like, Especially don't watch Boondock Saints Two. Yeah, don't well, watch. That's I, crap. I would only say actually I'd, I'd say if you have to pick between them, Grizzly Two. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel. Yeah, watch oh, that. No, no, Grizzly Grizzly One is so good. The Grizzly One's a lot of fun, and I'm so yeah. disappointed. Everybody says that Grizzly Two is like. Complete dung. Like yeah. what? I'm well, like, oh yeah. Well, I own Grizz it. Dung. So if you want to, like, if you want to watch it, that's sorry. We're we're spinning out here. I apologize. So Norman Reedus is not in Grizzly too. Um, thankfully for his sake. Um, however, um, oh, that's that's neither here nor there. Continue, yeah. please, please, please. Right, so yes. uh, the, yes. the next uh, notable credit here I want to make is uh, Udo Kier. Um, I think a lot of horror film fans would probably know him from like just he has a, a very. Uh, distinguished look oh, to yeah. him. Like he just looks. As soon as you see this yeah. dude, you're like, "Oh yeah, that guy." And I always want to like go to a con where they have like the theme is like, "Oh that guy," and they bring all those guys like from films because you recognize the dude, but you can never remember what the hell his name is. It's just like him, if, if him and Terrence Stamp were in the same film and just played like brothers, you'd be like. Oh my gosh, it's Udo Kier and Zod. Like it would be. Yeah. I just he has a look. He has a there look. There we go. Um, and it's like, like he, if you had a time machine, he would not, he would not um, be out of place amongst like Vincent Price and the like. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Hell like yeah. He, he just has a look. He has an air about him. He's I think I believe he is German. Um, it just has this way. It's like I I've not seen like I've, I've obviously you know when you watch him in this he's great in this I've. Uh, I've seen him in, like later things. Uh, he was in um, the original Suspiria. Yes, love not, it. Not seen it. <laughs> oh, what? 
Well, I don't know. I've seen I've seen the, the new one. <laughs> I've seen the new one. It's pretty good. Oh, I like the new one a lot. I Terry and I are that. longer friends. Uh, so, um, and then also he's in 1973's uh, Flesh for Frankenstein, which, uh, by the way, Terry, we're going to go see that um, this week. We are. Yeah, so oh, yeah. We're going to go see some Udo here. Yeah. And then the thing. It's going to get It's going to get weird. Uh, he's recently been in um, um, Dried Across Concrete and Brawl and Cell Block 99. Uh, it just, he has a presence. I love Udo Kier from what I've seen of him. Very, very striking. And, and if anybody has ever seen the masterpiece, Barb Wire, he's in that. <laughs> and Ace Ventura, Pet, Pet Detective. detective. A, a, a man that will, will take a paycheck. But, it's, yeah. it's, but you know what I mean? Like it's Udo here. Like just my God, like well, it's Udo money. Dude. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Come on. I just, if I, if I, if I was him, yes, yeah. I would do that as well. Yeah. He's, he's definitely a familiar Cash face. For Frankenstein. That's not what that name of that movie is. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, and then like, I'm just going to run through cast members here and Paul, if you just what, but could you imagine if we had, had Udo here like around, like, cause I feel like Donald Pleasance was like uh carpenter's go-to for things. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine him in the role of the priest and Prince of darkness? That would have worked. He would have been great. That would have been perfect. Yeah. Like just like, I think he could have been like brought into the carpenter thing. You His know line I mean? delivery like, too. Yeah. Like it's like he is, he's that dude. Like you yeah. want to bring him in. Like he just works really well for the like everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he works really well in those roles. Yeah. So anyway, you're gonna fire through. I have a, I have a few things to pick up, He's, but yeah, please. Who, yeah. So who else do you have here? Uh, so I'm gonna go fire through. Um, Colin Wu, uh, Fu uh, as a uh, Fung. Uh, yeah, he plays a small part in this, but he's he's great in it too. Like yes. he has he has some really awesome scenes. He, yeah, he has one of the, one of the most effective scenes in the the whole thing. Hell so, yeah! So and then uh, Christopher Redman as uh, Willowy Willowy Being, aka yeah. um, thing we'll talk about a little later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris Gothier, 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 yeah. uh, Tim uh, Timson, Timson. Yeah, <laughs> I like that his last name is complicated. And his name in the episode. it's like really these are weird names. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, um, Zara Taylor, a Taylor. Uh, well, with Chris Gothier, I have him and uh, Freddy versus Jason. Okay, uh, he's also in the series that was on Sci-Fi for a number of years called Eureka. He had like look, he had a, he was in a lot of episodes of that, and then he was in um, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is. Um, the guy who directed Mandy, it was his first film. Oh, I, cool. Um, I forget that guy's name off the top of my head, but he was in that. So, yes. All right, cool. Uh, so and Grizzly, too. I'm kidding. That's not true. <laughs> Continue, please. Yes. That poor soul. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> just waiting around for a paycheck. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Zara Taylor uh, plays Annie mm-hmm. uh, and a ghost. Uh, and, and so, uh, Gary Heather Heatherington uh, yeah. plays Walter. He was in the X Files episode Squeeze, which we've talked about. Yeah, because uh, he is the, the he is the father of uh, Annie's character, if I remember right. Yep. But yeah, he's in Squeeze. Squeeze is one of the first season episodes of the X Files. It's really, really, really good. Creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. Oh, we, we might have to discuss that one. Uh, he, he's also currently in the Snowpiercer series on TNT. Yeah, I saw uh, that. I, yeah. I have to watch that because I heard that's a, a pretty a pretty cool. I've not series. seen the series. The movie's pretty great. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I will have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, Chris Brenton um, as Myers. Yeah, he's the critic. Yep. And then uh, 
Well, wait a second. Here, this Ooh. is going to blow your mind. This is the thing. I know, we, guys, oh, I know we're 30 we minutes go. in, but here you go. Are you ready for your minds to be blown? Hold your wigs yeah. down. A lot of voice work. He's done a lot of cartoon work. Mm-hmm. He was the voice of Mr. Sinister in the 90s X-Men series. So supposedly he's coming back with the, the revamp that Disney Plus is doing of the X-Men 97 series. Nice. So that's cool. Uh, he was in Friday the 13th, the series. Not the only one we're going to mention tonight. There's other connections there, too. But according to IMDb, he is the voice the voice of the drive through menu machine and maximum overdrive. Human deer, human deer, human deer, human deer. That's him. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Right? Like I'm we, glad we, I'm wearing a hat. We, we, we met the goblin truck, right? We met the goblin. It's coming Come, full yeah. circle. Yeah. I just, I just, I, when I saw that, I was like, Christ in heaven. And I, you, have, you, you, you I have the audio. And you discussed that movie on... Uh, At the Devil's Ball. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, there we go. That, if you've been keeping yeah. track, uh, you got bingo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, because you also mentioned McGarris. He did Sleepwalkers, which I also talked about. <laughs> you did, yeah. Ball. No, but I was just like, that's the human's here voice. Like, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and I, I am um, I am um, a hack. I will be ready to press buttons on my soundboard at the drop of a hat here. <laughs> so I was excited that I'm like, I actually have a button. So, yeah, anyway. I have a button for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and next here, uh, I'm just going through the names yes. now because I, 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 I who's this just, person? It's like, so if there's anybody that you don't have a whole lot of, I can run through some of this. So uh, we got Julius Chapel is uh, in air Caltiard. I think he was the the guy at the film um, at the the French film depository. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was him. Uh, Henri Caltiard. I think was his name. Yeah. Four episodes of Caprica. Great. Uh, then we have what else do we have here? Brad Kelly is Horst. I'm not sure who he was. However, I, I think wanna, he was like one of the heavies. Yeah, I think so. I just want to give you one of the names he was like of a film he was in. It's one of the worst names I've ever heard of. Gone by Dawn Two, Dead by Dusk. That is the name of a movie you see in a movie walking through a video store. It sucks. Yeah. Anyway, Get out of here. so uh, what <laughs> else we have here? We have uh, Douglas Arthur's as uh, Dalibor, which I think is the. The guy that he that we get, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Kirby going to go meet. Like I think that's his name. The guy that actually, okay, because it's never really ever said. I think he's the one that's actually. Yeah, some people just kind of exist in this episode. He was in the remake of The Fog, which is kind of a Carpenter connection. It kind of sucks. I've I've not seen that or the original Fog. Anyway, so um, I just (laughs) you scum. I know, I know, I know. know. Like I just, I John is listening right now. I know it. Yeah, he's just yeah. Sorry, John. I'll set him straight. Screw that guy. All right, so, um, <laughs> and he's also in the Chronicles of Riddick, which I actually enjoy. Fight me. Um, <laughs> better than... Um, it's pretty good, actually. I, I, I like it. Yeah. I, it was okay. Right? Yeah. And we have uh, Gwyneth Walsh as Katya. Yeah. Uh, she was in The Man in the High Castle. She was also in two episodes of Star Trek Next Generation and in the film Generations. So she actually had like a decent little bit in Star Trek. And she was also in Alfred Hitchcock Presents... Uh, for the revival they did on USA Network. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then, um, I was also, gonna be like, she looks a little younger. No, because the, the, there was a there was a '90s revival of that as well. Huh. And then also on Friday Thirteenth the series, so I got that. Um, and then um, that's it. That's really all I got. They're like the other, the women that are in the movie in the movie. They're mainly known for stunt work. So that's what I'll say about that. But that's your cast, and you know. So you're right. There's a lot of. Did you have anybody else? Like, there's there's other names in here, but I just kind of yeah, fired just, through it. I'm like, I don't know what they're... Nothing against them. They're clearly in a short film... Short film. It's an hour-long film directed by John Carpenter. So they're infinitely cooler than I ever will be. It just... 
nothing really stood out for the other people that was involved in this. And yeah, that's like actually why I wanted to just sh- just shoot them off fire, yeah. like fire, 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 because yeah. there are so many people attached to this, and yeah. it's like they all have a role, they all have some kind of past, and it's like not to discredit them, but it's like for our discussion, we yeah. know who they are. We can we can move. I, forward. I did not see a single Hawaiian eye or Johnny Midnight connection, which I'm is really disappointed because none of these people were well. Some of them might have been Udo Kier's probably around at the time, you know, or, or the Twilight's the original uh, Twilight's so, on the original you know, series. Yeah. Like, so, Bummer. Um, so yeah, like, so I'm gonna how, how do we how do we do this? Um, normally, I know we kind of walk through the the stories with you guys, and I hope. So I also want to say here, go watch this. It's free to watch on Tubi and Vudu. There's ads, whatever. Go see it. Uh, like it's, it's worth out. your time. Yeah, and I don't want to spoil it for you. And I and I want to try my best to dance around because some of the some of the violence and imagery in the second half of this, um, you just need to see because, um, yeah. So well, because we get the premise. I think it's also one of those things where it's like you're dealing with these lines being drawn. Yeah. And you got to draw your own lines about what you want to watch. And I think that would be unfair for us because we have experienced cigarette burns to ruin cigarette burns for others, like. This is supposed to feel like um, dangerous and mysterious. Yeah, right? and, and and if anybody's a little queasy about blood or violence or gore or anything like that, mm. uh, there there's some little yeah, the little uh, warning here. This yeah. there is a scene in particular that is very very horrific, and I, I I'm sorry there's for a, that. Well, there's a couple. Like, yeah, well, um, yeah. one in particular, I was like, oh. They went there. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, damn. Yeah. There's some stuff in here that was saw before saw. Uh, there was some stuff in here. Uh, that there was, was like, things in here. Uh, eight millimeter. You yes. Know. That's a great call. I was thinking of eight millimeter the entire time yeah. while watching this, um, which eight millimeter. I think that was prior this. to this. And I think the first saw movie came out before this too, but the way, like the, the way Carpenter approaches the violence in this is very matter of fact. And that makes it worse. Well, you know, yeah. and, and so and, and, I know we're kind of bouncing all over, but yes, there is some extreme violence at times in this. Right. Um, it doesn't linger a ton, which right. is great in terms it of kind like, of does its thing, moves past it, and that's it. Because you know, we this isn't a celebration of it's just an examination of right. So, right. Um, yeah. So the, the the premise of this, we'll just get into it, is that we get um, we get we meet Kirby, who is being called into the estate of. Bellinger, who is Udo Kier. And Bellinger is clearly a wealthy man, um, a man of influence. And he tells Kirby, like, he basically is testing him a little bit about, like, um, his movie knowledge and whatever. So he, Bellinger brought him here because Kirby is a fan of film, but he's also a guy that, um, he, he, it's like he, he knows how to get things. Yeah, he's a man who gets things. And, uh, yeah, Bellinger is a, a very, avid collector he is but he's, he's flexing he's yeah. flexing too he's like i have over eight thousand films it's like and and he has a very nice theater too uh might i add which we find later in the film it's like dude you are an affluent mofo like you have yeah. a lot of money <laughs> and so he actually he brings in kirby because kirby has located other things for other people so i'm I, it's never said but it's word of mouth that kirby has a penchant for finding things and he, he basically he never gets to keep anything he does get to watch these rare prints um so bellinger's like okay great there's a film that is called um i have it. it's it's omelet du fromage that's not the name of the film <laughs> that, that, that is uh that is cheese cheese omelet that's what that, that is, is but cheese it, omelet. Um, mm. it is um it is called la uh, fin absolute 
du monde. Yeah, la fin absolue du monde, or the absolute end of the world, which we played at the beginning of the episode here. So and it, forgive me for my French because I don't speak French. So okay, well you did pretty good there. <laughs> oh, thank uh, you. La amo du fromage. That's the name of um, <laughs> close. Yeah, uh, it's very close. Yeah. So um, this film has it's one of those things. It's an infamy. It was only showed once. Supposedly the theater burned down. Uh, and it was supposedly taken by the government and destroyed, and the director never made anything again. And so Kirby knows this. Um, Bellinger's like, yeah, that's not entirely true. The film exists. I want it. I'm a dying man. I will pay your expenses. Name your, Basically, name your price. Right. And so, so this sends, and then we find out more about, um, we find out more about uh, Kirby, where he does own a theater that doesn't do well because of his programming because of the films that he loves. So there's that part of me that's like that independent film thing where it's like, you want to be like, yeah, you show the films that you think are important. You have this big theater, you sell like, you know, 30 seats or whatever you're losing money, but you believe in your vision. Uh, but we also find out that he, his life's more complicated because he actually owes a fair amount of money to the tune of $200,000 to his, Father-in-law? I know it's never quite specified. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't say that like they were married or whatever. But Annie, an interested party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Annie is his ex, and um, you know he he borrowed some money from Annie's father, which what? Annie Annie and him were like strung out. You can tell drug they're both addicts. Junkies. If you want somebody to look like a shitbag junkie, you get Norman Reedus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, even when he's well, like in even, this role, yeah, even later on when he's kind of collected, you're like, I don't know, man, he's like two days away from getting right back into it. Yeah. Um, Walter, yeah. Walter is the, the father yeah. of Annie. And like, there's this obligation that, you know, Kirby's still supposed to fulfill, you know, he's supposed to pay back this hundred, $200,000 because we even get a, um, like, a like we get a glimpse back to when he borrowed. To, yeah. Because she was trying to convince her father to be like, like, it should be a wedding gift. And he was like, this is not a gift. It's a loan. Uh, and then in the meantime, he's like, you know, like, get your life together. Get Annie's life together. This, which is this is not fair to a father. But whatever. Anyway, I, they, some of his expectations were misplaced. But anyway. Um, so we find out that Annie is strung out and she actually is an addict and she she eventually commits suicide. That This is not a spoiler. We learned about this in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie. Um, but that's the guilt that we have Kirby carrying because he lost his, his love. He couldn't control it. Or, well, let me rephrase, he blames himself, probably right, with a lot of that. But he has this albatross of 200 grand over his head. Or he's going to lose the theater. So when when Bellinger's like, hey, find me this movie that doesn't exist that supposedly is like this, um, you know, taboo, like no one talks about it because it's like the thing of legend. He says 200,000 and he's on his way. Right. And that's where we it becomes a string of him tracking down La Fin Absolute du Monde. And it gets it gets um I, I like you mentioned eight millimeter, which is a very apt connection to this film in terms of what it is, in terms of like what like because this isn't the kind of film supposedly that it's not like you and I both know in the circles that we travel with horror films that we like, that there's that certain sect of people that's like, yeah, but does it push boundaries? And is it exploitive for exploitive sake? Does it make you upset because it's just, I don't know, gross and inappropriate type of thing. And I shy away from like, we just watched devil's rain. That didn't, that didn't feel dangerous whatsoever, but it was weird. It was fun. It was dabbling in like the satanic church and all that, where some people might think that's taboo. I don't think that film went like too far off the reservation to not be approachable for the person when they watch a movie. 
right? Um, but there's stuff that we know that if we asked a couple people, we get to see some of the more upsetting things that I never want to get into because sometimes people just celebrate violence and gore. And this isn't that movie. This isn't supposed to be the one where it's like, oh, how dare they? It's supposed to be so um, dangerous that it will drive people mad and it will drive them to violence. It will drive them to unspeakable acts because there's power in this film. Yeah, it, yeah. it's not about the imagery. It's about the film itself. There's something invoked yeah. when watching this film, and that's the most taboo thing about it, and that's why like, there's so many things that are connected to this film that no one can explain. And when anybody's asked about it, it's like, it's you're you're shunned almost like you have to you have to be in like the most seedy groups to find information about this too so and i mean like we don't try to explore those kinds of films that i i guess in our little groups don't like you know we don't want to be like the but we but we know people that like we're friends we care about them but they they do dabble in this stuff and right it's like, if I want to be like hey can you show me something that'll keep me up at night thanks thanks for this I'll never sleep again but you know yeah. like I guess I'm gonna go cry in the corner now but uh thrill me yeah, you know you like should, I just, well there, like you mentioned eight millimeter there's the bit whatever uh, Nick Cage's character who he's trying to track down uh, the makers snuff of, film. making makers of snuff films yeah. and that that movie's a hard watch yeah and it's. But there's a bit where he comes across Joaquin Phoenix's character thing. I think his name's Mac Cal- Max California. Yeah, and and, you're he's, right. and he says to him like what he's looking for. And then Max is like, well, you know, when you dance with the devil, um, you know, you don't change. The de- you don't change the change. No, no, the devil so, changes no, you. You don't change the devil. The devil changes you. Yeah. yeah, and it's like that's where I feel like this is in that kind of like dangerous territory, but like amped up. It's like just to the nth degree of what this film is supposed to be. And it's like, and so we always hear about like, like there's all, especially in this, like this was the early internet, right? Like, um, well, from what we know now, 2005, whatever, it's like still like, you'd always hear these murmurs of like these dangerous films, like these, you know, I'm sure there was a certain amount of, um, you know, um, aura around like the video nasties of the eighties. Um, right. Like one of the big taboo films for me growing up, it's just because my mom believed it was an actual, like a real story with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She believed that was a true story, which is not. Right. But we never watched it because she believed it was real. And Cannibal Holocaust has always been coveted as one of those films that, like, it. there is some weird, real shit that's going on in that film. I've never seen it, and I think I'm kind of okay. You should be okay, because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know that there's actual, literal, on-screen animal, animal violence in that film. And there I'm is. Like, and it's one thing, this is not this discussion, but it's like, you know, people are like, I can't watch John Wick, a, a dog dies. It's like, the dog didn't die. Keanu Reeves would have killed everybody like literally in life to protect that puppy. Me too. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you yeah. get, like the dog didn't die. I'm sure the dog is living a wonderful life with Keanu Reeves right now. You know, it's like, so I know that, you know, yeah. like, um, but knowing that there's actual animals like being killed on screen, I have, it's like that. I don't know what, what purpose that serves. Um, but anyway, that's, so yeah, I have my lines. I draw, everybody has their lines. They draw. And you can see how that leads into this type yes. of storyline. Like, there is something so taboo about this that it's even outside of the taboo. It's over the top taboo because yeah. there is something here that no one can explain. There is a power behind this film. And this dude, uh, you Kirby. know, uh, Ker- uh, Ke- uh, Kel, uh, no, Bell, Bellinger. Bellinger, yeah. Bellinger Udo, Udo needs, yeah, he needs this. Yeah. He needs it. He, he wants to push 
past the envelope. Well, because he he, he's also admitted he was like, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. Literally, at one point at the end of the, the thing, he said, um, "You, you, you don't make as much money as I do without burying some bodies, and you don't sleep at night knowing, like, without knowing those bodies are buried." So he even says, like earlier, then he was like, "I know I'm going to hell. I want one taste of heaven," and it's like. He knows he's he knows he's a son of a bitch, but he has the money to get what he wants, and he wants that one moment of like the unobtainable. So, know? and and in Kirby, it, it, it's kind of like the last Subaraya. We yeah. talked like in the sense of like I want this experience that no one else can have. I will pay money for it. Good connection there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah. um, Look at me calling back to Creep Show. Why I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Like so, Kirby doesn't really think that there's any validation here. He's like, "Hey, people have talked about this. How do I know that you know it exists?" He's like, "My, like, my sources are undeniable. Yeah, like you can't, like, you want to, you want to question me?" And he still he opens up these doors, and there was a figure there, and I don't want to go too deep divey into what that figure is. No, yeah. but like Bellinger shows um, Kirby proof of that he's. He's right, got carnal he's knowledge. He's right about the the film existing. So yeah. Again, we're gonna dance around it. Watch watch the the film, and so but so this leads this leads Kirby on this like it, there's also this weird thing too of like once once you're on the once you're on the path of uh, La Fen Absolute Dumont, um, it's almost like it's magnetic. It's inevitable. You you're gonna be drawn there's an to attraction. this thing one way or another, and. And then we learned about what the cigarette burns mean in terms like it's it's double meaning in the in the movie, which is I I love double meanings in titles where um, as we know, if you've watched Fight Club, uh, a cigarette burn in terms of filmmaking would uh, would signal a uh, real change, meaning that you see the little blip like in the corner that lets you know that that reel's about to end. You need to get the other reel started so there's not like a um, a skip in the action, right? That's what that was meant to do. Um, it's not really said that way in this where the projectionist Timson is grabbing the cigarette burns out of the films, but it's like, you know, if you have a hobby and people get this real, like, you know, they, they know they can change it. It's explained a different way by this guy. He's saying that it's always sets up something that's about to happen. It's like, it's a real change. Yeah. But he, he's talking about like a sequence that no one is supposed to expect. And when you take that, that little spot out of the film, then people are just along for the ride. And it's Which, like, I mean, I think that you're messing over the next projectionist that doesn't know the real change is about to happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like, well, okay. they're not going to expect just white on the screen, you know. Anyway. And, I, and and fun enough, the 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 reel that he pulls it from while we're watching the sequence is from Suspiria. Oh, is it from? I thought okay, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, so That's I was cool. like, "Oh, cool!" I was like, yeah. "I mean, like, good callback." Because well, I mean, credit to to um, you know, I mean, obviously, you can tell that Drew McWeeny and uh, Rebecca Swan know they like the, this. Regardless of how some of this gets a little hanky at times, they love movies, and there's some history here that they mentioned about like there's one of the films they directly reference. Someone saying when that actually this when when this film premiered, there was riots. That was unintentional. When when um, you know, the end of the world here uh, debuted. It was intentional. Like, there's some history there. I love, I love when horror gets kind of like, uh, like a pin a tail on the donkey where they just attach it, and it's like you give me enough historical context, it makes it, uh, it makes it a little bit more like, oh shit, this this could be like, this is interesting to me. You know, I I love blending of actual history in right, and it's not where, just reference, reference, reference. You know, it actually works for context. Yeah, I I just. 
when it's like all brought together, you're like, oh, you know, like, and I, I, love, I like I, that too. I love that dude's little binder because he opens up the binder and Timson, put, yeah, like, the, I was yeah. like, dude, I was like, this guy is actually for real. Like, it isn't just a fad. It is, he is steeped into Because Kirby keeps bringing knowledge. all these, like, older, rare films, like, fan, like, like, he's programming rare for, the, for the real fan or whatever you want, like, which, R-E-E-L, I mean, we could, yeah. we could talk about, like, what would consider, you know, I think that's all kind of, if you're going to this, this theater, the Vogue theater that Kirby owns because of his programming, you know what you want to see, and that's fine, um, and that's not even what's even talked about in this episode, but yeah, Timson knows the programming and he's a fan. So he's grabbing all the cigarette burns from those films because he is a fan and he wants to have a, his, his collection too. You know, it's like, he's not that dissimilar from Bellinger where he's like, I have my whole binder of bur- cigarette burns and Bellinger's like, yeah, I own them all. <laughs> you know, mm. And also maybe other things in my house that weren't there. So wink, wink. Um, but this sends this sends Kirby on this path where he's getting affected by the film before seeing it. Um, and again, I don't want to ruin it. Like, I know we're kind of dancing around it, but purposely. So I told Terry before start recording, I'm like, I don't want it to really give away like the big bits in this because, uh, it's worthy of watching. And some of the visuals are yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like this is like, if you talk about spoiler material, as far as like twilight zone episodes and that, if you've never seen this, there is a lot to digest. Yeah, I mean, the Twilight Zone's been around for 60 years. This has been out since 2005. So, I mean, 16, but come on. Like, it is, this This feels, with the exception of the lack of, like, the internet. Like, or, like you don't see, like, cell phones. You don't see, like, them really Googling anything. Uh, for the most part, there's a lot of, like, physically going places asking see a questions. giant CRT uh, yeah. <laughs> computer. Yeah, I, you know. Um, you Macintosh, yeah. 95. Like, what is going it's on like, there? I'm on my Commodore 64, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, but a lot of this is still very modern feeling in the sense of, like, the chase, uh, the descent into darkness. Like, I, I will also say, like, 8mm is a great, I think, to pull Com- aside with like this. Like a companion piece, too. Or In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the Carpenter film where it's a Sutter Kane novel where Sam Neill's character goes down that rabbit hole. They're not dissimilar, you know? Um, and Good in, call. In the Mouth of Madness, like, I like it. I haven't seen it in a while. I know there was little it's some problems wacky, with it. but I wacky, wacky film. Yeah. Do you read Sutter Kane? Uh, so um, I think that with, with the, how do you feel in regards to your horror with the taboo in terms of like there, like there is the thing that you start learning about as a viewer that is supposed to be so corrupting and so horrific that like, is that your style of horror or like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is kind of a very specific lane of like, it's the doomed journey, you know, like, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I, I, I think that I, I put my boundaries up as quickly as possible because I know that it can be a slippery slope. I mean, I know what I like. I, I have my ideas about what is good, uh, like viewing. <laughs> I don't think I need to necessarily press all like all sides of what my viewing scope is. Like I was like, if it's a good story, I want it. Yeah. If it's gore and blood and guts and all that stuff, it's like I know where I want to be as a viewer, and it's like I I value people's uh, opinions. And then I just go from there, you know? So it's like, I don't necessarily have to be the guy. It's like, um, Italian gore, let's go for everything. Yeah. You know, I, I don't need to be that person, you know, cause it could get goopy, really, really goopy and really kind of scary. 
<laughs> as far as like what they do to get to the goop, you know, that's fair. But so like, um, in regards to like, I guess another, I'm talking about Sam Neill, like, um, like event horizon would be another good call to this where it's awesome like, film, like awesome. Instead, instead of a movie, it's a ship that went, it went places that you don't know and it's messing with everybody. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, I, um, there, and, and, um, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of pulling all these threads here. Um, like Clive Barker as well as this is where I think this is his stock and trade of like, you, you want, you want answers. You want pleasure. You want pain. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. you, you want to know this, it's going to come at great cost and it is unknowable. Like there is something here that feels very Barker adjacent as well. Yeah. Um, like, For sure. And like, like uh, so, uh, Lord of Illusions. I was yes. uh, like, they invoked like a Lord of Illusions thing to me. Yeah, um, like which we we, we kind of said that would have been a good partner to the Devil's Reign. Um, like, yeah, like even the Devil's Reign had it been like maybe tweaked a little bit, could have been kind of in this line of like you don't know what you're asking for, but you're going to get it. Um, yeah, I, I I dug this. Um, I, uh, I this is really again. I know we're being kind of amorphous, but. We, we respect you as the as a listener to go watch this because not like it you know the ending isn't anything that's like you know like oh but it's like it gives it, it lands you like you follow the journey you go where it goes everything pays off you know and uh carpenter's hands steady through this and he like when it comes to showing you some of the the more ridiculous parts of gore he knows when to cut away but also he also understands the theater of the mind of hearing things and seeing reactions. Hell yeah. Um, pays off way more. Um, and that's why I'll bring it back to eight millimeter, the bit whenever, um, when Nick Cage's character actions of watching the film in question that he eventually tracks down, you never see the movie the way, um, and that all is right. You just, you're hearing the real go. You're seeing the, the disgust in his eye or you're seeing the disgust in his eyes. You're hearing the sounds of whatever's going on. Yeah. But like the, the soundtrack is very purposely minimal and all you see, like, um, you see Nick Cage watch and react to whatever it is, which makes, well, one, we don't want to watch this film in terms of the movie of eight millimeter. We do not want to see this happening, but we see what he goes through. And uh, credit to um, oh uh, Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, not Michael Schumacher. That's the race car driver. Um, Schumacher, the Joe guy, Schumacher. Yeah, Joel Schumacher directed Eight Millimeter. Uh, you know, Batman and Robin fame. Yeah, right, go figure. Um, like it's masterful that time, right? And so I, I think there's a certain amount of like uh, you know you dance with the devil. He you know he changes you. And there's a lot of this in this uh, this episode where of the Masters of Horror of Cigarette Burns where. Like you get the idea that Kirby, it just like Norman Reedus's performance. There's times in some scenes where it's pretty great. There's other times where it is absolutely terrible. Like whenever he uh, flips the double birds at his father-in-law, like that was terrible. I thought that was a stupid, stupid scene. And then at one point he's just like, can I watch the movie? Like, it's just like you, I don't know. There's a certain way. Some of his line delivery was just not great, but I don't know. At least he gets to the end and I can appreciate that. Um, I just, I, I wish he was more sympathetic as a character and I don't really get that from him. He has guilt, but he's not sympathetic. He, he, he's such a stilted actor for me. Yeah. Like I honestly, even watching walking dead, I honestly don't think he's that great of an actor. 
But he he has a look to him. He has a delivery that seems to work. He has a work. presence that people like. And yeah, he's a good looking dude. Like you can't deny any of that, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. it works for him, and it, that that's fine. It's not I, whatever. You know, it works for people. Um, I mean, his brother Merle Dixon in The Walking Dead was uh, uh, Michael Roker. Like, I, I'm all about that. Love Michael, Ro- <laughs> Michael Roker's the dude, yeah. man. I love that We've guy. We talked about him. Yeah, so Hit yes, me up yeah. if you want to drink a beer, dude. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> not, not as Merle Dixon because that was a racist son of a bitch. However, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so yeah. like, I mean, like. He's serviceable in this. I think they could probably could have done some better casting, but whatever. He like he works for the role enough. Yeah, you know? like Udo uh, Kier. I love oh, he's Udo. So Kier. great. Like oh. he just he his is, last bit. His last bit in the production booth is amazing. Considering he's that picky out on. like yeah. uber rich mofo that's like it. You know this is the guy. Like this is the dude that he doesn't want to explain too much, but he's got money. And you gotta you gotta help him out because if not, you're gonna pay the piper some way or another because now you already have too much information. You know what I'm saying? Like Udo looks like he's the type of dude to knock you off because you already have too much information. Well, he's now. also one of those guys that he he can't afford to let everybody knows know what he knows. He can't afford to let everybody know what he has. Right. But he he there's power in letting some know right. what he has. And that he has ownership over Kirby because Kirby is, uh, you know, his stepfather or stepfather, his father-in-law has him by the balls with this $200,000 payment. Yeah. It's like, you know, so like, I, I do love Udo here in this. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, this work like it, for being like this descent into madness and things get worse and worse and worse and how like in terms of my horror, sometimes of what I prefer, I don't like a lot of hand wavy things, but there's no explanation. However, if you cross a certain threshold where it's like, this is just, everything here is exists because of something so inherently bad, there's no, there's no way to understand it. I'm with it for the most part. And with this, I'm in, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, it's not, it's not always consistent in terms of what, what the movie does to everybody, but, but we also kind of get that, like that sin and center type of thing too. And I'm okay with, again, event horizon, you know, like I, I dig this. I thought, I thought it was solid. I'm glad we visited this. Um, I know we're being really guarded, which is unusual for our show, but I don't want to ruin one, one bit of the second half of this. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, to, to, to build on the, like the suspense here, this is like, if anybody knows about this series, if anybody's even remotely interested in the series itself, this is the highest rated episode of the series on IMDb. And it's like, I, I you know, I, I'm not going for the low hanging fruit here, but like John Carpenter, uh, you know, he was a part of this as well, you know, and we are big fanboys of John Carpenter. And if anybody likes the, the movie Sinister, this might work for you as well. And that's like, you know, that's Bloomhouse, you know, it's like, or Bloomhouse. Well, again, like I said, one half of that, there was a guy who wrote for Anticle News, so I'm sure him and, uh, I'm sure uh, Robert uh, Cargill and Drew McWeeny probably traded notes. Yeah. And probably uh, talked to each other about the horror films they like. So I'm sure there was a kinship there. Yeah. You know, just Sin- yeah. My only my only problem with Sinister is that they never knew when to lay off the soundtrack. Like meaning jump get, scare. Well, no, they're <laughs> like with Patrick Wilson's character. No, it was, no, it was Patrick Wilson. It was uh, 
um, Ethan Hawke yep. and Sinister. Yep. Him watching some of the, the actual film footage, which is like it's an eight millimeter or 16 millimeter film. There's no soundtrack to it, meaning it's just a straight up image. I don't need a, an actual movie score over that. But that, that's a minor quibble. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, no, Sinister is a good call. Like we're the, the big takeaways from this. Well, number one, don't watch the Boondock Saints. Uh, if you want to watch Boondock Saints, just watch Grizzly 2, but don't watch Grizzly 2. Um, and then watch the other movies that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but also watch this. Watch Cigarette Burns. It's Please. Like, it's like 57 minutes. Like with Tubi and Pluto TV and whatever, whatever else is available. It's not available on Pluto TV. Well, it's um, uh, YouTube, you said, right? Yeah, you can find it. Yeah. Um, it's available. You got there. connections. <laughs> yeah. It's not hard to find this. Right. Um, and there's free options available with ads. Watch it. Right, and then everything else we mentioned, we mentioned, you know, Event Horizon. And, and if you talk to Udo like, Kier, he yeah. he might be able to find it for you. Um, yeah, like and be like, I'm looking for a print of cigarette burns. I will pay you two dollars. <laughs> like you know, like that's like it's on the internet. One ninety nine. Like, One ninety nine. Yes, yes. Uh, and I'll cover all your travel expenses from here to, to your, your laptop. Couch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you pay for your own beer. Oh, I wish there was a cut of this episode where the film that they're watching is like I don't know. Garfield, a, kill, a Tale of Two Kitties or something, where you just see that playing on the screen and be like, his madness, you know? Like, you know, let's see. Like, uh, it's, I don't know. It yeah. Funny. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a great, it's a great little watch. Um, you know, I, I, me being the the John Carpenter fanboy, like, I'm trying not to, like, put that the, at the forefront here. It's actually a really interesting watch. And like, there is a lot here as far as a series. Honestly, watch the series. Watch all of the series, and yeah, you would, know, give it some it's love. A sin. I, I need to get to it. Yeah, yeah. So, check yeah. it out, and it's like, you know, with it being so easily available, like, why not? You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you'll see some, uh, you know, uh, my pillow commercials. I'm sorry, you know, we we don't endorse that. Because no. we are free from advertising. No, we we, we um, are fans of the Pillow Cube, not my. I don't know. But, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I just I um, I think that we respected the second half of the story here a great deal. Yeah, uh, I think we got into oh, some yeah. of the, the the bits here that we want to get into. Um, did you have any other notes? I have some trivia. I, hit me with some of that. Trivia. Yeah, this trivia is messed up. I had to find this out kind of like by accident. Cause like on IMDb, like I was like I was Zara Zara Taylor that played Annie, right? Um, she only had ten credits, didn't do a lot else after this. Here's the here's what I saw via IMDb. It's not on her Wikipedia page either. It's not even on uh, trivia for the the film or like on IMDb or the Wikipedia page. This is just on her character profile page. While she was playing the dead wife of Norma Reyes' character in the Masters of Horror episode, Cigarette Burns, the makeup artist blew menthol vapor onto her eyes to make her cry for a scene. Unfortunately, the menthol vapor wasn't executed properly and chemically burned her corneas off, exposing her pupils. Fortunately, her corneas grew back after four days, but during those four days, she was completely blind. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at your reaction. Not this, like, this is terrible. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. I, wow, I didn't see that per, part of the uh, production no, it, notes at it's all. Not, it's not anywhere other than on her IMDb, like, trivia. In terms no of, wonder like, yeah. she didn't want to act too much more after that. She probably didn't want to expose herself She's like, to listen, crap I went, like that. But it's like, it's kind of funny because, well, not kind of funny. 
just regards to the nature of this, the, the film within the film being so dangerous that anybody associated with it, like had misfortune upon them. And she has misfortune, like upon her making an episode that involves a film. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. I can't even imagine, you know, that's insane, dude. Wow. Wow. So that's my trivia. Like it wouldn't be an episode of strange highways, I feel like we've kind of like we've come around. We've said something terrible happened. <laughs> like it's always like, hey guys, this was a lot of fun. By the way, sad stuff. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what I got. Uh, I feel like we just we got to do it as it's customary. But I like we'll get into this in a second. Normally here on the episodes when we rate the twist, one being uh, we saw it from a mile away, and five being mind blowing. Um, again, since we're not going to get into the specifics at the end of the episode, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rate the twist. I just figured that it is part of our structure. So I think also people can make up their mind what the twist is. I don't know if there really is a twist in this, uh, cause it's kind of, you know, straightforward that like Kirby Kirby's, it's not going to go well for Kirby and that's not giving anything away. Um, and sometimes you just understand it's a dark ride and you're going to see where, where it actually ends up at. So yeah, and uh, it, it, you know if we if we want to try to rate a twist, I'm I think I'm gonna say that if you think that Kirby wasn't gonna get into some nasty shit, yeah, I'd say it's from a one. Just it, from the like, it, once we learned his backstory very quickly, we knew we knew shit was gonna come home for him. Yeah, I'm gonna say two because I think the overall outcome and how things played out with him and uh, you know. Uh, uh, it was a Udo Udo Bellinger. Yeah, Bellinger's uh Bellinger like and, and the father-in-law ooh. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to say that was like more closer to a 2 cuz you know things I would things... say that the things that are happening with some of the house staff with Bellinger's yeah. place, that that is uh way more um whew, just got to see it to, just got to see it to see it. That's what I'll say. So, yeah, for yeah. sure. So so yeah. so yeah, um I think that's going to do it for cigarette burns. I'm glad that you suggested this. I'm glad that I revisited this. This is a hell of a watch. Yeah. Um like it doesn't overstay its welcome. I guess this could easily been um, like a feature length film. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but it, it, it isn't. And it just kind of gets right to it. And you get to the guts of uh, the, uh, yeah, the storyline. Uh, yeah. So I liked it. So thank you for recommending it yeah. uh, for us to watch. And again, you, everybody it's available to watch, go watch it. Um, and then let us know your thoughts. Yeah. If, you, if anybody actually like wants to watch things that are more collective to um, like movies and like, like theater storylines too. Watch a movie called Popcorn. Popcorn's oh, yeah. really fun as I, I well. Think I saw. I think I saw that years Popcorn ago. Popcorn yeah. is so good. I have this. I have the super fancy edition that my wife bought me. So you can borrow if you would like. That's right. Just, no, I was gonna say just right, Terry. It's like Netflix now. It's just called Terry Flix, and he will Terry Flix. <laughs> movies about movies. Yeah, he, within movies. There, there's know. only he only has one. It's a subgenre. He only has one movie that you can rent twenty dollars a month. Just he'll mail it to you. You can watch the sweet times you want. Mail it back. He's going to send it to you again. Like, that's what's going to happen. What's in your queue? Popcorn. You're not going to get my popcorn movie. You're not getting it. It's super fancy. You can't have it. So, yeah, it's going to do it uh, for us this week. But, like, so you guys can... It, I'm, I'm stepping all over myself. I'm just... I'm, um, I'm a mess here. So... Uh, it, share your thoughts about cigarette burns on our Facebook page. It's uh, strange highways. You can email us directly at strange highways, podcast, gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. And also if you enjoy the conversation, um, share it, let other people know the more, the merrier. 
Um, you know, we just hit 200 plus episodes here. Um, you know, like there's a lot to get into. So if you enjoy this, this conversation, let others know. And there's a lot to dig into. We appreciate it. Hell yeah, dude. I, I'm, I'm super excited to keep on going on this journey. And guess what, people? You can follow us along on this journey if you follow us on Instagram. And hopefully, with the new year coming up, that we were on your top five for Spotify. You know, you listen to podcasts, maybe we're on Spotify for you. That's where your listening platform is. And we might have been on your top five. I'm... Our podcast is on my top five, Paul. Oh, great. I, yeah. Okay, well, good. Um, <laughs> because I need to hear my my sinister yeah, voice. I yeah, don't know no, why. I just, um, yeah, yeah. It, like, you know, I, I fall asleep listening to myself each night. No, that's, that's not true, not whatsoever. We're self-indulgent. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. I, no, I just, I, I just, I... I just like listen to myself. I'm like, stupid, stupid. I just keep punching myself. And then eventually I just succumb, succumb to like the unconsciousness. No, anyway, I'm kidding. Um, no, like, uh, yeah, if it's on Spotify, check it out. Like, um, again, uh, we're on a lot of different yeah. listening platforms. And if you, if you do listen on any one of those platforms and they have a rating review thing, yep. do that, please. For the love of God, give us some love. Or give us some hate. I mean, we're we're always listening yeah, for black. It just it just blows my mind every time. Like I just, you know, we I've been doing this for what five years now, and you've been on for what you're getting close to like a year and a half. Uh, getting you're getting there. You know, you you're getting some you're getting some experience under your ear belt there, Terry. Um, it's just when we know people that we know for as long as we have, where it's like, oh. I have like uh, two stripes on my white belt. You know, it's like I, <laughs> one day Terry will approach to his uh, his uh, yellow belt. I'm kidding. Uh, no, um, no, it's just like you know, we just know people that are like, oh, you guys podcast. I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry that I have a brain disease that I talk about it every three seconds, but you've not been paying attention to anything I've been saying for the past five years. Oh, maybe I should have a baby. Then people would pay attention to my social media posts. That's not happening. No. Okay. Good. All right. I have. <laughs> I, I have, I have, no. Three, no, I have three cats. I'm good. So, all right, let's just get into what we're talking about next. And now, Mr. Surly. So we're continuing on our detours in December before we get into the 80s Twilight Zone. Um, we're getting into a um, syndicated series called Monsters that uh, I remember growing up. Um, I remember it fondly because it would be on the weekends. It was, it was always that and Tales from the Dark Side. We're always like back to back and uh, we're getting into season one, episode 18, the match game, which according to the internet is like one of the best rated episodes of the series. Not that we want to like go in and be like, we're going to cherry pick, but monsters was around for what three seasons or something like that. I believe, um, you know, and syndicated run times at that time, there was probably like 20, 30 episodes a season. Um, I'm just guessing, but we'll get into more of that um, next week, but I love me some monsters. It's going to be a lot of fun to get into. Yeah, I, this is something that's like a, a sore spot for me. Like, I haven't watched any of the series, and I feel really disappointed in myself. You'll love the intro sequence. It's goofy. It's going to be great, yeah, it's man. Good. It's like, it, yeah. I mean, Cana- Canadian productions, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, And also, this is available on Amazon Prime. It's, 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 it's well... It is, it's on um, imdbtv.com. So if you go there.com, it's imdbtv. You can watch it with ads and it's like 21 minutes. So we're going to get into that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult. So I, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I can't wait to discuss this with you, Paul. And uh, man, it's going to be a hell of a year. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. And in the meantime, um, I don't know, um, watch Cigarette Burns, but don't watch other things that. Are, will scar you for life? Uh, maybe. Be careful what you watch. 
show starts in one minute. Your attention, please. All new hotshot electric in-car heaters have been installed for your comfort and convenience. Just insert heater through car window and turn on the switch. When leaving, please turn switch off and replace on speaker post. Warning, high voltage. And now for our feature presentation. Welcome to uh, what is going to be a an odd episode of, of whatever podcast you may be listening to, and I and I mean that. Uh, you'll, you'll, this will make more sense in a second. Um, welcome to a crossover episode in a lot of different ways of Strange Highways and Invasion of the Podcast. And I'm joined with uh, my podcast husband from Strange Highways, Terry. Welcome to our show, but also my other show. It's the shows. Welcome. <laughs> Uh, stranger danger. Stranger uh, danger. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and invasion things. I don't know. Like uh, stranger, stranger invasions. I don't know. Um, inv- highway I, I would, invasions. I would speak openly, like I, I'm actually talking to people, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in this context. But thank you for having me on, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but yeah, but you, but this is this is your show too. Like I don't know. It's it's weird, right? <laughs> so um, I, the way that this is going to be set up uh, for people, welcome to this show. Uh, it, you will find um, that this is going to be a standalone episode, Strange Highways, that is released to the feed um, starting now. And like clearly you're listening to it now as opposed to um, in the past, which is whatever. Anyway, um, and also if you're listening because of evasion, you're about an hour or so into the episode because – what is going on is that uh, Terry and I last week while finishing Strange Highways after talking about Duel, which was a fun, fun talk. That was a great film. Uh, people should check it out. We decided we're going to move on to uh, Masters of Horror uh, uh, Pro-Life, which is the second John Carpenter segment that he directed for that was a Showtime series. Mm-hmm. And since over on Invasion, we've been doing our year of Carpenter where I, we've been going like, you know, uh, film by film. Uh, in order, uh, with the exception of two, because when I first started this and pitched this to Steve, my other my other co-host, uh, we kind of skipped over two of the earlier films of Carpenter. One was uh, Somebody's Watching Me, which was his original made-for-TV film before Halloween, and then his uh, made-for-TV film Elvis. So outside of those two, we've actually covered, or we will have been covering everything, okay? So uh, since we just had finished covering Ghosts of Mars and uh, our year of Carpenter, um, the next thing would be the Master of Horror series. So that would be the two the two segments he did, which was Cigarette Burns and Pro-Life. Terry and I, uh, on our show on Strange Highways, we've already covered Cigarette Burns. And Terry, you'll find this funny. I looked up when we did this. It was December 3rd, 2021. It was like three episodes before we started our, um, our year and a half long journey into season one of the 80s iteration of The Twilight Zone. So think about that. It's been a while. Oh yeah. I felt like it was a while ago now, but you know, like just, uh, looking up some of the notes, I was uh, fortunately able to bring them up and I was like, wow, that's almost like the same notes <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Fair enough. Uh, so we've already had the conversation. So, and I thought it would be kind of like a kiss met and kind of like fate of like, you know, like obviously Terry was on the evasion episode talking about John Carpenter's vampires. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Um, and I was like, well, why not? This makes sense. It, just, it would it would be a nice uh, crossing of the streams, so to speak, of having us do an anthology episode for obviously for Strange Highways um, during our detour section while we're between seasons. 
and also covering the year carpenter. So uh, if you guys will allow me, I'm, I'm killing two birds with one stone, you know? So th- th- I think that it all kind of makes sense. So with people listening to innovation, you've already heard a conversation now about cigarette burns, people listening to strange highways. You already heard a conversation like two years ago. If not go find it or go check out the invasion episode. If you want to hear us, talk about that then too which by the way it's funny because it's been like two plus years since that episode has come out um you know uh, there's a lot of things i admitted to not seeing which we've now seen because of the year carpenter so i you're gonna find a much i'm not any more cultured or smarter i just that i've seen some stuff in the meantime between but in the in the small gap in the recording if you're listening to this back to back you know i will sound somewhat smarter by maybe like three percent so well, I mean, know. at least you're a little bit more knowledgeable of uh, his material at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny because like one of us besmirched vampires, but then I was just like, wait a second. I think we both kind of liked it. So, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so with that said, um, we, we did get into some of the history of uh, leading into Masters of Horror, but I do kind of want to lay the tracks down a little bit better uh, going in. So if this sounds like we're repeating a little bit from the previous part of this episode, that you're now listening to, forgive me, it's been two years. So the book that I now have that I don't have at the time, The Assault on the System, The Nonconformist Cinema of John Carpenter by Troy Howarth, he was talking about after the 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 thud that was uh, vampires, uh, Carpenter was effectively retired. Uh, he really got into video games, which I love that he got into them. Like he got into them because of his son, but then he actually liked them more than his son, which I think is funny. Uh, but then he would also go on continue getting interviews recording audio commentaries, doing guest appearances of various retrospectives. But for, for most part, he was in retirement mode and loving every minute of it. I love, as much as we're going to talk about, we want more Carpenter content. I kind of love retired Carpenter. His like not giving a shit anymore. And just kind of like making peace with things. I kind of like it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, Retired in the sense that he's not really doing movies, but mm-hmm. then he did a little bit of the production stuff for Halloween, the Halloween films, and he's still kind of doing music too. Oh yeah, so for sure. Lost, you know, his lost soundtracks and that, which I absolutely adore. I, I, from the beginning, have loved his music. Um, you know, and all the different soundtracks that he's done. But I mean, him and his son create really good music yeah except the, the pro-life we're gonna talk about that in a little bit in a second <laughs> there's some there are some odd sound choices in that segment we'll, we'll talk about that uh so in this in this time though before coming to the master horror um i think you know this but i didn't know specifically that there were some rumblings that there was going to be a possible um michael myers versus pinhead film that he was going to direct with clive barker writing i don't know if you're familiar with that or not I, I heard some uh, whispers in the bushes about it. So I don't know how much of that was like, you know, how close it got to an actual. Yeah. Thing it, there was not. no press about it, but Doug Bradley actually said he had conversations with uh, Barker about it. So that sounds like it was like something being kicked around. That would have been kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that didn't happen. And then, um, so then at this time, um, one of the films that uh, Carpenter talked about, like feeling like he kind of swung and missed on, on which he would have had a, a chance to maybe do better was the fog. Um, Revolution Studios proposed backing a remake in 2004 uh, with him and um, with with John and Deborah Hill agreed to to participate at least nominally as producers Um, they felt loyal to that because it was their first big project that they did together and they and it became but they became evident that it wasn't going to be the remake or update that they're hoping for and it kind of they kind of shied away from it I've not seen it I think I'm good um, but and, and that is one of those films that I actually turned off. So I, <laughs> if that tells you anything, oh, uh, so the, 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 the sad part about this though, is that 
Um, though Deborah Hill was like you know, on board as a producer and was hoping to see like the you know, the best foot forward, uh, she did pass away to cancer before the film started shooting. So this was like you know she already was struggling with cancer before this, and but you know they felt that this was like their their like their baby right in a lot of ways. Uh, but I thought it would just it, it'd be worthy of mentioning because as we've been going through this this whole ex- exploration of Carpenter, Deborah Hill. You wouldn't have the carpenter that we know without Deborah Hill, and even though there that um, the the last thing they kind of like um, I wouldn't say collaborated on, but kind of were overseeing was this that that's a shame and gone too soon. So I just wanted to point that out. So um, after that point, uh, this is what we talked about and during our our cigarette burns episode where Carpenter was uh, doing like hanging out the, uh, um, with the McGarris with their dinners with all the different other creative people. And they kind of kicked around the idea of like, um, you know, creating this like series where Mick Garris is like, you know, you guys are all creative, amazing people that I love and I'm fans of all of you. Let, let's try to get something going. And that's how Masters of Horror started. Um, the one, the one name that we didn't talk about previously that was actually offered a spot and they stepped away for a reason that I'll tell you in a moment was, um, uh, it was, um, Romero was actually offered a spot and he turned it down for the Masters of Horror. Yeah, it, there was, from what I understand, most of it was done uh, because of uh, timelines and that and what he was working on. Mm-hmm. I believe he was working on Land of the Dead, uh, or it was at least around that time. So, well, yeah. you know. It, so the big thing was the time frames, because they were going to be a short, like, once you once you got shooting, you had like 10 days to shoot your thing. And also, um, like, because also the, the, the turnaround time was going to be a really tight window. Um, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for the creators to write their own things or at least write them comfortably. So, right. and then also the budgets were going to be around um, less than 2 million an episode, which, you know, um, it, for prestige television, even then that's still a really low budget, you know? So, um, so yeah, he bowed out, which is like unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, as much as I know you're the big, like a bigger Romero fan than I am, not, not because, it's not that I don't appreciate, but we, we know that the, there's sometimes that his, his ambitions didn't, well, sometimes his hopes didn't quite meet the, meet the output, you know? So I'll say that. So I don't know, but considering that some of these masters of horror episodes have been kind of considered kind of, kind of poo, um, who knows where he would have landed with, you know, within this larger framework. It's just, it's just something I wanted to bring up because I thought it was interesting. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, uh, names that are involved with this series that uh honestly god i don't know how mick was able to get it uh all together because there i'm there's some fantastic names obviously carpenter being one of them and being able to do two episodes and it's like but not only that but like the actors and like the production crews mm-hmm. and that i mean like we had k and b working on the entire series too which is incredible for k and b yeah you know greg nicotero and company which that's that's worthy of the yeah pointing out um so with that also being said too, like, um, because Mick Garris is like, he got like, he basically was like, Hey guys, I sold this idea to Showtime. Let's do it. Basically, he was so excited and the Showtime bit on it. Like then he kind of had to convince like everybody to get on board, which I think is kind of funny that he, he got the project greenlit and then was like, Hey, you guys want to make it <laughs> type of thing. Um, but like Carpenter is that he actually got excited to start, you know, he's like, I got interested in directing again. And they were, they were promised a certain percentage of, um, you know, 
like you know money after the 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 productions broke even and started gaining money. But um, as we all know, and especially considering what's going on right now with the writer strike and the actor strike. Um, this is what Carpenter said. We were supposed to be getting percentages when it got into profits, but somehow magically, like a lot of things in the movie business, it never got into profits. Hard to figure that one out since it was so cheaply done. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I just like not the, the poo poo on the, the product itself and not, not, you know, really give it its due. But I mean, there is definitely a, a quality that is lacking here compared to some other productions that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it just, again, like the the magnitude of what kind of thing this is to get it accomplished and actually put the screen and everything. It's just, I think it's mind boggling. I mean, considering like the attempt at what they're because I even know that it, based upon had this series been more successful, there was supposed to be a Masters of Sci-Fi series coming to where they're going yeah. to get a bunch of like they're, they're, like I'm not saying there isn't gold in these hills. It's just that. Um, you know, again, since we're now in the middle of these creative strikes, sorry, um, the people that have the money are not wanting to pay the creative people, which is bullshit when we can, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I think that you would feel like something like if Netflix didn't got its head out of its ass, like if you gave the budget, like you did to Del Toro with this cabinet of curiosities, like you, something you could take a run at this again. Right. And cause even then that's kind of like an offshoot of this because he picked different directors and voices to make episodes, right? Like important uh, people there in horror. So maybe that's kind of the spiritual sequel. Maybe I just kind of back my way into that. But, well, and yeah. the, the, the other um, series that we're kind of uh, leaving off the plate here is that uh, it, it, fear itself was supposed to be mm-hmm. the third season of masters of horror. But because of um, the rights issues and that and who it was being sold to at that time, they ended up deciding to change the name of it because, I mean, there were so many things that already were, I mean, like this was years like after first Masters of Horror happened. So they were like, you know what, let's just change the name. And then, uh, then you know, like when they saw that they were going to, ha- there was a writer's strike at that time too. So some of the people that were being brought on were scabs. And Mick Garris was like, all right, you know, what? I can't, I can't be a part of this now. I just in good conscience, I can't have my name be on well, this. And also, it was not what it was I be wanted for broadcast television. So it had to be toned down. So that was another big challenge Correct. too. Yeah. So, um, so with that being said, um, and let me, let me get into a little bit of information about cigarette burns, but again, everybody go back to that episode or rewind an hour. Um, but I just want to c- kind of mention skip through it real quick, just because that leads to, uh, John doing pro-life, right? So um, Garris commissioned scripts from a variety of writers and ultimately very few of the directors were able to write their own material um, because the need for speed was one of the reasons why Romero, like I said, he backed down. Uh, the directors were then permitted to take their pick of the scripts, which John was settling on a piece written by Drew McWeeny um, and Scott Swan, which we know um, Scott Swan is um, is now Rebecca Swan. And we talked about that. Yeah, one through transition, yeah. yeah. Um, And it's important to correctly identify that. Them, sorry, not that. You know what I mean. Uh, Called Cigarette Burns. And he actually liked um, the script because he felt like it was kind of in line with like being like a little, like a little bit of the Apocalypse trilogy, right? With the thing, um, you know, uh, um, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness, which we could agree. Like, yeah, there's a lot of elements of that. So he felt like it was like, you know what? This is kind of my jam. Let's just do it. He actually ended up having... He liked working with those two so well that when, when it came to season two, he automatically picked them to write a script. So I think that says something. We'll, we'll get to the script itself in a minute, but like he picked them because he liked working with them. And also um, like the whole shoot itself was easy breezy. Like, and it actually got pretty good reception. And it was actually one of the two highest rated episodes of that first season, Cigarette Burns. 
And so he had a, he had a good, a, a, like, he was like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. I'll go ahead and do the second one, even though I'm not really getting paid. So then um, the other thing to mention here, too, is that he did find new people to work with. There was an editor uh, named Pat McMahon that he actually proved to work well with Carpenter. And so he'd actually edit this, um, Pro-Life, and then The Ward. So it turns out, like, they're kind of, like, you know, they found a kinship. So... I, you could tell that once he finds somebody he likes, he wants to keep them around. So I thought that was important to mention. Uh, and then see if there's anything else here about cigarette burns that we didn't just talk about uh, two years ago. Um, but we both came away from that very, very favorable. We liked it a lot. Um, so and then the last thing here was like the, um, the majority of Carpenter fans saw it as proof positive that John was still capable of delivering the goods. So, yeah, that's where we're at with with that. Um, so, and also too, like, you know, in terms of like, uh, there's other constraints that I thought were interesting that I didn't consider, uh, with, with both cigarette burns and pro life, since they're both being shot in Vancouver, um, there's different union labor rules up there. Like they could only have two non-Canadian actors part of the crew, like in terms of like the acting, like the actual actors. So, um, that's why, um, we ended up getting Udo Kier and, uh, Norman Reedus, and cigarette burns. Everybody else is Canadian, and in this one, um, we get one very, very distinct American man <laughs> that we'll talk about in a second in terms of cast. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. So that's that's the information I have with that. Um, so yeah, let's just get into um, let's just get into pro life. Uh, it would be Masters of Horror season two, episode five, air date November 20, 24th, two thousand six. Directed by John Carpenter. Duh. We just talked about Drew uh, McWeeny and uh, Rebecca Swan, um, and also. In the meantime, between our recording of our talk about cigarette burns and now, there was, um, oh, what was the name of the podcast? I'll look it up. There was an amazing seven or eight part podcast talking about the like the rise and fall of Ain't It Cool News. Andrew McWeeny is actually interviewed on that like a couple different spots. Um, it, I'll look it up while we're talking. It was a really fascinating um, uh, podcast that people want to get into his struggles of trying to separate himself from Anacool News and also the legacy of Anacool News. But I'm going to look that up in a second. Um, let's get into the cast here. Who do we have? Yeah, and so uh, real quick, uh, we'll mention uh, Cody Carpenter again doing the music for this. Um, kind of the thing that you were saying about the music compared to the last episode of Cigarette Burns, I, this is a very strange soundtrack and how it's constructed. Mm-hmm. And then the one that was prior to that in Cigarette Burns was very a uh, piano, mm-hmm. and it, it was very elegant and beautiful. Very and ethereal, just, yeah. Yeah, this one was very strange, and I, I was like, I, I don't know, maybe it was because it was trying to keep you off kilter. Um, and I, so if that was the case, then it worked. I think um, I think this whole episode is kind of unbalanced in a lot of ways, um, and I don't. I'm not saying that as a positive. And yeah, the music is a little odd. Uh, the name of the podcast was called uh, Download. That's D O W L. Sorry, D O W N L O W dot D as in download. It's spelled odd, but people should look it up. It's the rise and fall of Harry Knowles and Cool News, and Drew McWeeny's on there a lot, as well as uh, uh, was it C. Robert Cargill, the gentleman that was the co-writer of the Black Phone, and Doctor Strange. He's on there for a minute too. It's a really fascinating podcast. Sorry, moving on. Okay, yeah. So then. Uh, to our cast, we go here. We have Catelyn Welch's Welch's yeah, Welch's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she plays Angelique, uh, Brochelle. Uh, she was in uh, a couple of Airbud movies and then inspector <laughs> gadget too. I will just say uh, quickly here that there are a lot of different cast members and I'm going to, we're going to try to make this as fast as possible. 
I, I, and I, well, how would you pronounce this next name? Here? Well, first, I want to mention the biggest thing she was in was from Profiler. I don't, I don't remember that show. It was an NBC for a few years. She was in 41 episodes of that. But I, yeah, I'm glad that you wrote two Air Bud films because I did too, <laughs> because you got to mention that, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the next person you're going to mention is Emmanuel uh, Vallier um, as Kim. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was in Saw 2 and 4, you know, the best ones. I have no, I, whatever. I, I'm kidding. And the, the only good Saw film was called Seven. Uh, so, and then I'll, and she uh, was also in Wishmaster 3, which no one talks about. Uh, uh, 25 episodes of CSI New York. And then also the movie that we should watch. No, we shouldn't watch it. Bachelor Party 2, The Last Temptation. I, I, I'm really curious to see it. I'm like really, really curious. But, Nonetheless, um, we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, next uh, Mar- episode. Uh, no. <laughs> I think this one's called, uh, his uh, last name is Mark Feuerstein. Feuerstein. Yeah, I think so. Feuerstein. Yeah. yeah. So Alex O'Shea, uh, he plays, he was in Practical Magic, and he was also in some of that show Prison Break. Um, 104 episodes of the USA show Royal Pains. I know you probably don't remember that it was in syndication, but it was on for quite a while. If I recall, he played a doctor on there too, and he was known they, they kind of like people figured out that he has kind of a knack for like comedy, like timing and like um, delivery. Cause it even <laughs> shows up a little bit in this, like a smidge, right? But not much. He has, he has a charisma about him. Uh, but also I like that uh, per his, what IMDB it said, uh, trademarks, like one of the things he's known for usually plays a boyfriend that is too young for the leading lady and winds up getting dumped. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> 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 you gotta love, Wikipedia and IMDb. Um, so yeah, next here, I think uh, it's most important to say this next cast member uh, in the in the string of cast members here, Ron Perlman. Um, he, I mean, he is just he's something else in this, but uh, but he plays Dwayne Bushell. I, I'm not sure how much we want to talk about Perlman because I think everybody knows who Ron Perlman is at yeah. this point. But I mean, you know, he was Hellboy. He was in uh, Pacific Rim. You know. He was in the original Beauty and the Beast uh, syndicated yeah. show. Yeah, that, that, so it's, it's like yeah. That, that, actually, that's funny because if I recall, whenever they were when Del Toro was trying to convince um, the powers that be to cast Ron Perlman as Hellboy, um, they went back and found the life cast that they took of his face for Beauty and the Beast, and they did, they did like the Hellboy prosthetics on that life cast. Like they did a mock up to show the studio like this is the man, and because of that, they convinced them to be like he has the look. So I think that's awesome. That they went back and, like, the, and yeah. the line delivery. I mean, like oh, the I dude is just. I love Ron Perlman. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's he's fun to follow on social media too. Uh, so yeah, speaking Especially of when yeah, you- <laughs> yeah, the writer strike and the actor strike, he is on fire right now. Like he's holding yeah. every. It's like you don't you don't mess with Ron Perlman, right? So I, I think the juxtaposition is actually interesting and in how his character and his motives are in this. But uh, in real life, he's a quite a different person. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I. Uh, but yeah, next we'll we'll talk about uh Blakeski. I think it's Bish, Bishki Gushke. Bishki? Yeah. yeah, I just okay. I, yeah, yeah, I mistyped that. I'm sorry. I, well, uh, it's, yeah. it's it's an unusual name. Um, and no no offense, we're not trying to mispronounce things like on purpose or whatever. But yeah, uh, he plays Kiernan, which I had to write beside me beside the note guard because I'm like I'm like who's Kiernan? <laughs> he he was the security guard. Yeah, he was in a, a great uh I consider a great at least uh Jacques Claude Van Damme would be called Replicant check that out it's pretty badass and he was also in uh, uh some episodes of battle uh battlestar galactica yes um eight episodes so no no small part there and also he had a small part as an officer in saving silverman one of my favorite i'm not going to even say guilty comedy comedies one of my favorite comedies i love that dumb movie so much mm-hmm. you know. 
But uh, next here we have Jeremy Jones. Uh, he plays Doug. He was uh, in shows like iZombie and X-Files. Yeah, um, he was in the newer iteration of The Stand, um, which I did not see and I've not heard good things about. And he's currently in Fire Country. Because hmm. evidently, you know, that's what some procedural shows are now where it's like FBI, Fire Country, like, I don't know, Woods Place guy. It's, they're all, it's all professions now. Like, you know, like everything is all just profession-based shows. Like, you know, right. dramas. You know, handyman, North. I don't know. Uh, got, I got nothing. Um, so yeah, now next we have list, uh, uh, Lisa, uh, Bunting. Uh, she was, she plays Joan in this. Uh, she was in Deadpool too. That was probably the biggest thing I could find. So um, I, I thought this was funny. She does a lot of, uh, voice acting for cartoons. She was in, um, uh, 26 episodes, something called action man, which I think is the greatest name for just a, the car- a cartoon. Cause it's like, that sounds like a default setting for a toy that you like, you're like, I want transformers. And my mom's like, no, I got you action man. I'm like, Oh, you know, that's what it feels like to me. But the, the, the byline for action man is the adventures of action man and his friends in the fight against Dr. X. I'm like, did nobody just remember to make up names for any of the characters for the show? <laughs> it's just like all the, the, uh, stuff that was left on the drawing board, you know, like, like they're like, we don't have anything to do with like this. Someone just sent in a script and they're like, well, you know, like this is our idea for what we want to do. And then they, they're like, they just put in tip names. They're like, good. We've made 26 episodes. Like, what did you do? You know? And then what? she was also in two episodes of a cartoon that was based upon a Robert Kirkman comic, Robert Kirkman, you know, the walking dead, invincible, all the good stuff. The, the comic is a kid, like a kid friendly comic called super dinosaur. I did not know what this is, but she was in two episodes of Super Dinosaur, which is, again, that's a way better name than Action Man, but credit where credit's due. <laughs> right. And so we have Steven um, the off- Demopolis? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, so play Sam. Uh, he was in First Blood. He was also in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, there we go. And then uh, Ashley Williams plays uh, is- Isabel, I guess. That's yeah, how it's pronounced. Isabel or Isabel. Yeah, whatever. Isabel, yeah. Uh, she-, she was in Juno. Um, but the only thing I could really find there, uh, Grace Bauer, she was, uh, Marie, uh, she was in some st- stuff. I've never, I've never heard of any of it, but she was in, she was in some stuff. I wrote 13 credits. Clearly it was important to me when I was going through my notes here. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, we have Bill Dow. He plays the doctor, uh, keeper in this. He was in the fly too, uh, which that draws back to Mick Garris and because nice. he directed that, but he was also in the TV, uh, remake of Carrie. As okay. Well. He looks familiar to me. And then I realized in hindsight that I actually forgot to put notes down for him. So I'm glad you brought out the fly too. That's, a, that's um not a great movie, but an interesting one. Uh, it so, is a very interesting yeah. one. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll just fly through the rest of them unless you have somebody. To, to, like, I, really I gotta, I, we could go through a couple. We have Arabella Bushnell as Grace. She was in five episodes of Riverdale. Graham McComb as Caleb Burcell. Three episodes of Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, the funny thing about him, he actually played the younger version of... Um, all the actor we were talking about and a day in Beaumont, that was the lead. And then oh, okay. he, his character is like, was it Dr. Martin, something or other. Um, and he's one half of firestorm, but, and legends of tomorrow, this guy played the younger version of him because the show deals with time travel. So I thought that was interesting. Anyway, uh, Benjamin Rogers is Cole Bursell, one episode of the last of us. That's cool. Chad, uh, Crowchuck as Daryl Bursell, uh, Batman versus Superman. And then, um, there's a there's a guy here. You, I don't know if you know him or not. Terry named Derek Mears. Plays yeah, Derek the father. Mears. Uh, this is amazing because uh, he was going to be the one that I was going to bring up here. Um, usually a, a creature, uh, a creature guy, a guy in a suit. Um, he has been a predator before. 
He's been. Uh, you mean the alien a, predator, not just a predator predator? That'd be weird. No, no, yeah, yeah. He was well. It, I can't say he's he's been in the, <laughs> the predator movie because he was in Predators, I think. Yeah, he was. I think that was his first role as yeah. the, as the creature. Um, but he was also he was Swamp Thing more recently. He was also uh, Jason Voorhees in the remake of Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, so like is and also with him being a swamp thing, which is the the DC like they did the TV show that was canceled. It was canceled before the first season was even released, which is a whole thing, right? But his swamp thing has showed up on Legends of Tomorrow. So there we go. More Legends of Tomorrow crossovers. I, I've not seen any of the new Swamp Thing. I've heard it was decent, and I'm glad that at least, you know, it's getting Swamp Thing needs to get some love, right? So I think that's Yeah, and do. Derek Derek Mears is a he's a very intelligent dude. He's a very I mean like I think he's like got a lot of um, uh, personality and mm-hmm. it's just like, it's not often that you see that from a guy who's just put into a creature suit and never was really given any lines. So it's nice to see he's getting like his, uh, you know, his kind of like resurgence in his career. Cause he's doing a lot of work still. Oh, for sure. And I, I think from what a little I've heard is he's supposed to be like the nicest guy ever. So that's awesome. Right. Like as yeah. much as, I, I, I did soften on my rewatch of the, the newer Friday the 13th. Um, but it's like, you know, I, I have my, I do have my problems with it. He's not my problem with it, you know? So he, cause he does, they wanted him to be more of like a survival, like, like a guy, like, you know, doomsday type of survivalist and the way he moved and carried himself. And I think he did a really good job with that physicality as Jason. Yeah. He, he built like a brick shit house. So yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's a bad too. dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. So, um, yeah. So then also I just want to mention here too, that, um, they, they got Ron Perlman for a song to be in this because this was right after Hellboy came out. Um, and, and it was all between that and the, the golden army. And then eventually you go on like sons of anarchy, but it's Ron Perlman. We know, we knew who he was. Right. But he took, like, he basically agreed to work with, cause he wanted to work with John Carpenter. So I think that's, um, and also I, I don't remember when, um, I think did, didn't desperation come out after this? Cause that was Mick Garris directing as well. Uh, that was the made for TV Stephen King adaptation that Perlman was in. I can't remember when that came out, but clearly Perlman likes McGarris, right? And he, but he wanted to work with Carpenter. Well, which, he was you in. You did I don't? Did you mention uh, Sleepwalkers? Because he, I mean, he had a. Oh, that's pretty... right. He was one of the like you know the cops or whatever, right? And that too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that forgot. I'm sorry. I keep all I can remember about that movie is a corn cob in the back and some of the <laughs> worst morphing effects you'll ever see in a movie. It, dear God, is that bad? And yeah, that's a movie to watch with people because one, never watch that by yourself, and two, it, you, it's one of those experiences where you have to turn and look at somebody and be like, "Did we just see that?" Like, you know, like just my god, just oh, I, I do not like that movie, but it's a fun movie to watch with people. I, I, I for some reason have a soft spot for it. I, I don't know if it's because I saw it early enough that I can forgive every fault in it. The, um, <laughs> the, the best part <laughs> of that know. movie is them using the track Sleepwalk in it that's the best part of the movie and that's why i have i've loved that song since the moment i've heard it you know but anyway that's neither here nor there uh so so yeah uh pro-life this is the second segment we talked about like that uh that carpenter will direct for uh masters of horror um as we usually do on strange highways we usually go blow by blow uh through the story here um i it there's a for an only an hour long there's a lot of wheel spinning in this and it feels weird to me. This 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 episode is very, the pacing's odd. Did you get the vibe for that? Because I watched it twice, and it was for something that's supposed to be a pretty like you know like ticking clock scenario. There was a lot of like just puttering around 
and nothing happening at times. I, I do remember seeing this some odd years ago, probably even closer when it first initially came out. And it's like rewatching it. I was like, damn, I know exactly what's happening in this. And it's like, but it's like, I, you know what I mean? Like it, you, it, it's like one of those weird things, like a fever dream. You're like, I know what's happening, but do I, I don't know. And then it's like, by the end, you're still like, yeah, that, well, that was screwed up. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I think that, especially since, um, you know, we got Dwayne here, uh, the father, yeah. but, well, um, yeah, we, like, we, he, he's menacing. No, that, that, that's important. I want to, yeah, I do want to speak to that, but like we have uh, Angelique, um, her character runs through the woods at the beginning. Um, I like, I, I understand that this is like, it's a cheaper production in terms of budget. I, I don't know about you, but I hate that stuttery slow motion shit that happens in productions. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's a, that's an active choice because you didn't shoot for slow motion and now you're doing like a, like you're affecting the footage to make it look like a slow motion, but it's just like that staggered, I hate that type of slow motion. But anyway, her running through the woods. We also then meet our our, our couple, which is uh, was Alex and Kim, who are working together at this um, uh, this clinic, this uh, family care clinic. Um, and they like they, he's happy as could be because he got laid the night before. So I think that's funny. He's just playing me like he's like I'm gonna listen to this a third eye blind and you know, whatever. And she's like, turn it down. I don't want people to know we had sex. Whatever. It's stupid. But um, they they almost hit Angelique. They're like, we got to take you to a clinic to make sure you're okay. Rightfully, you know, like, wouldn't it be nice to like, I almost hit you with my car. Good thing we work at a medical facility so I could take you there. So you don't have to sue me, you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like, I mean, that's like the, the perfect way to uh, kind of fix that one up. Like, like, oh yeah. It's like, uh, I work at a body shop <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, don't worry. We, we'll, 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 it's okay. So, um, so they take her to this clinic. And then while she's like getting ready to be taken out, uh, they, they see this van pulling up to the gate. And then I do the one thing I really do appreciate about the, the, the script in the episode and the way at least Carpenter presents this is that when the van shows up, everybody knows who that person is. Even if the people around don't know why each other know what that van is, but nothing good comes from that van. Yeah. You know, I like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's already, uh, it's already a concern. Yeah. So it's like they close the gate as quickly as they can too. And so we find out that this is Dwayne probably like considered like the town problem or whatever, or at least the clinic's biggest problem because he has a restraining order to stay what 500 yards away yeah. or some, something like that. Cause I mean, this is, this is a clinic that does perform abortions, but you know, it's more than that, which, you know, like, the, the, the politics of this episode were, were um, spicy then. And they've only gotten spicier, right? Since then, right? So, in spicier, I'm being, I, you know, I'm that, that, that's downplaying it. Um, it it's a, it, it's a shame to think that when this episode came out, uh, and I, I cut you off, Terry. I apologize. Uh, in 2006, that women had more rights than an access to health care and abortion, you know, care than they do now in 2023. And this was supposed to, this was a hot button topic then, right? That's um. <laughs> anyway. It just, it, it's one of those things. It's like, Oh, Ron Perlman's character won in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, like it's, it sucks. I, I think it's interesting too, that they really do not mention what, like what he had done. I mean, he yes. obviously, he's not happy about the place being the place that it is, but it's almost like, all right, as long as I can get my daughter back, we're not going to have any problems. Yeah. And that like, it's like, but we know that, with this dude, with him being so like I, I guess like uh, quiet and kind of reserved at this moment, 
that's a that's a gift right now that he's offering <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, and like and and, and the gentleman who wrote the book that I have been like picking all his wonderful uh, uh, commentary and um, knowledge from pointed out that like you know, Carpenter wanted to actually pick somebody that could actually portray um, you know Dwayne without being like a lunatic. Like, I mean, at least at, at, at first, right? Like you wanted to have this person that had conviction and, but didn't come across as like crazy. Right. Yeah. So, and I think, I, I think Ron Perlman, he's the strength of the episode and the way he just kind of plays it. But even it's like, you, I, but I do like, I, I, I don't know if it's just because of my, um, the way that I, I, since I love the film Christine so much, just seeing a, a vehicle when you can't see the driver and you see a, a red vehicle and you hear the engine rev, I'm like, yeah, shit's about to get real. You know, like I love the menace of this van. <laughs> just something, maybe also because we just watched Duel for Strange Highways. I don't trust vehicles with um, with drivers I can't see now, I guess. I don't know. But uh, there there is some inherent like menace when you see this thing appear. And then when he pulls up and how like he is... You could tell the contempt he has, but also you're right. Like him being quiet is like, you know, it could, that, that's, it could change very quickly. Yeah. And everybody's approaching him with kids gloves at this point too. I mean, even our doctor is, it seems like he's actually frightened to go out see, to see Dwayne mm-hmm. and not really communicate with him himself, which rightfully so. I mean, considering he's the guy who runs this clinic. Uh, he's probably on his shit list on Dwayne's shit list, you know, well, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, even yeah. the guard, the armed guard is scared to approach Dwayne. Like that's just, that, that just shows you how much of a badass he's being built up to be right here. Yeah. No, but I do like I, I do, to, to, yeah, to agree with you. I'd like that of all the things that this episode tells you that you don't need to know or like this or shows you and you don't need to see, I'm glad that we didn't see the inciting element that caused him to get the restraining order because that seems a lot more menacing as well because you don't know what he did, right? Yeah. Like, and I think, I think it's a lot more um, – that that looms larger in your head that everybody – like you mentioned, everybody's coming up to him with kids' gloves. So it's like something bad happened once with this guy, at least at least once. You know, and and kind of, I, think, you know. I think it has a right to be ambiguous because it's like – you know, if, if if not saying it gives that much more menace to it, then so be it. Then I think that was a good good choice here to to kind of have that be the mythos of what Dwayne is able to do. Yeah. You know? If only um you know if only the writers decided they could have maybe held back a little bit with the other part of the backstory that we got, but whatever, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, yeah. you know, I just you know because <laughs> it escalates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah fair enough but like but so but then we find out that angelique who is 15 um she's pregnant she looks like she's a couple months pregnant and we have alex being like okay when did you get pregnant she's like like last week and he's like no 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 stop lying and she's like i'm not lying and then you know like that back and forth like i get that she feels like she's like no one's going to believe me which that does speak to a lot of people not believing victims Right. Mm. So I, I do get that. And especially when they find out that, that she's the daughter of Dwayne and like, you know, clearly they think there's abuse involved here um, that like, you know, they don't want to believe her at face value. Uh, but then they start doing like the ultrasound and <laughs> that sequence, man, it's like the moment that happened with what happened to the ultrasound wand. I was like, I don't know about this episode. Like, <laughs> 
what? That you don't think that could happen? What do you mean? <laughs> I just think that's like, when you've lost your faith in this episode. <laughs> I just I started being like, this is a little, like okay, like the wheels hadn't fallen off, but it was getting a little wobbly. I was. <laughs> put it that way right like i was like uh oh yeah. here we go because uh, like it's well, one thing to so, show yeah sorry go ahead please <laughs> i was just gonna say it's like a, to kind of describe to our listeners what that that, that means uh, as they're trying to do the ultrasound all of a sudden like we're getting like fuzziness in the in you know on the monitor then all of a sudden like the the baby is starting to kick like big time i mean like almost like bursting out of her stomach <laughs> kicking i'm like Whoa, man, this thing is doing karate kicks in there, if that's what it's doing. Well, uh, and just like the images that we see of this thing are very weird looking as well. That's fair. It's just with the way, like the way the stomach was moving. Like, I mean, we've all seen, you know, like in real, like real life babies move and you see the stomach move. Like I get that, right? Like, it's like, I'm not, that's not weird. Um, but it's like how extreme it is and how like Good for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've, eat, I've eaten, I've eaten Taco Bell. I've seen my stomach move in ways I don't want to talk about. Uh, but um, so uh, you know, I've, I've, my first child was named fourth meal, but, uh, so, um, that's not, that's not true. It was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was Chalupa. That was my, my child's first name. Um, so, uh, when the, with the way this thing was moving and like how extreme it was, the two people in the room who have dealt with like so many, you know, you know, women that were seeking to, you know, to terminate pregnancies or those that were being like delivering, like you would think one of them be like, what is going on? You know? Cause like clearly it isn't like, Oh, Oh no. Somebody has a case of the rumblies. You know, like, I don't think that's really what was going on there. But then when the thing kind of reaches through the stomach and somehow do, it does like, um, I don't know, it, it folds over the ultrasound one and, and breaks it. And they're like, Oh, something weird's going on. No shit. Something weird's going on. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, it, it looks ridiculous too. I think it would have just been a better choice. It just, for some reason had the thing short out or yeah. something. I'm yeah. not sh- <laughs> like, like, why how, did they have to go that far? Like how does a film like the Manitou handle this better? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Like, you know, it, and it's like, but it's like at the same point, like how long did that gag have to be set up for? You know, it's like, I don't know. In terms I, of budget and writing. Just, yeah. Yeah. It could yeah, have been. And like, yeah. And it just looks silly. No, you're right. Yeah. There could have been, there could have been a couple of different ways to handle that, like to to get it across, like you know, like uh, because it's, so clearly this thing's otherworldly. Maybe there had been a compulsion from like the 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 mother because she's un, in pain to actually break the thing. Like you, know, you could have done it a couple of different ways. As much as she doesn't want it inside her, she's in pain when it's getting scanned. You know, like you could have mm. you could have done this a couple of different ways and still been just as effective and just as creepy. Um, but and, anyway. and meanwhile, meanwhile, yeah. Dwayne is outside losing his cool pretty fast here. Yeah. And there's also, yeah. we, we should mention there's other, there's, um, five other characters that are involved in this that really have no reason to be there. There is the, the mother and, and father and the daughter in the waiting room that serve no purpose. Uh, and then there's the other woman waiting for a procedure. All she ever gets is the one line of like, you know, like basically don't be an asshole when she's like talking to the guy in the waiting room. Um, yeah. and that's all we get from her. That's all we get from her. And then there's the, the and then person, there's another nurse on site. There's the too. one working the front desk. And then there's the escort, Doug, uh, Doug, who's a dumbass. We'll talk about Doug being a dumbass later. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like, again, you could have trimmed out some of this. I, I get if you're, if your goal in the story was to show different reactions to why you would be at a clinic that day and, um, how, um, adults or parents, 
uh, react to to these situations, right? Because you have you have um, Dwayne, who it, like ultimately, as as misguided as he is, he does care for his daughter and wants her back, right? So we, we, we can agree on that in terms of like, he actually, you never once doubt his love for his children. Like, right. I, I believe that whatsoever. Like, I mean, you can't and, and he me has like, convictions yeah. behind his yes. beliefs too. Like he, um, he knows that this is a clinic that, you know, does the, you know, abortions and that. And he's like, if there is one place I don't want my daughter right now, it's this place yeah. right here. And then we also have Alex and Kim who they are showing compassion because like they understand where they're supposed to be at and what's best for the patient. So we get that as well, even though there's a little bit of like not understanding to begin with, but uh, rightfully so, you know, all things considered. And we even have the doctor, uh, Kiefer, who I relabeled Dr. Guns later in my notes, um, <laughs> like um, that even even though he is like, you know, anxious He's still like, he's, you know, like he's still seeing like, I, I don't know if the greater good, but he understands his purpose for what the job yeah. is doing. Um, but then it's like, if, if you just want a shitty father figure, great. You just have him in the lobby. I don't understand why that guy exists because we clearly already see um, differing opinions of how people are treated in terms of these situations. It just right. felt like, it felt like to me that you could have maybe um, folded some of that in a little bit. But the whole thing too, is that you wanted to have like a hostage situation, like an assault on precinct precinct 13, like uh, people are held against their will. That doesn't really do anything either because it doesn't really like, yes, this, this place goes under siege, but it doesn't really do anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of gets wasted. I don't understand what was going on. And that father, he might get a moment of redemption at the end, but I still think it's very selfish, but whatever. I just, I don't understand the point of him. Or that family. And I'm going on too much about that, but it's as much as, and I'm jumping ahead, so I apologize, Terry. Um, This feels very much like a made-for-TV episode, which it is. Um, It's very pedestrian in a lot of ways. Um, But for whatever reason, I just, I got to blame a lot of the script, but I also got to blame that as much as Carpenter liked working with these two on cigarette burns, like, I wish there would have been like, hey, can you give me a second draft of this? You know, like there's something in here that's just, that's missing and it feels very loosey goosey and it's odd. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying about, uh, you know, kind of being too many characters because the majority of this story is in one place, the, yeah. the clinic itself. So it's just like when we have that many people floating around in this one facility and let, let's be real here, too. This is not a huge facility either. So it's just like to have all these people running around it and doing all the whatever they're doing. Because even then, like when we get a couple a couple of people knocked off, that's pretty much it. That's all we see. It's like that per- person gets knocked off, like the father. Yeah, uh, like he's killed, and then that's the end of that. Like, like that, w- we don't it see been, anything happen otherwise. Wouldn't it have been, I think, a little bit more interesting. And I know, okay, again, I'm judging something that's already been done, and and I, I know I'm guilty of always rewriting things because um, I'm not a writer. I'm a hack and a fraud. Um, would it have been interesting for the father to be an asshole, but whenever push comes to shove, when it becomes like they're under siege, he's like, you know what? <laughs> I might be mad at my daughter, but you don't get the right to take like her, her, her right away by coming in here guns a blazing, you know, like, like, you know, like, I, cause I think the title of the episode being pro-life, I think is taken in a couple of different ways. You could take that in a lot of different directions. I think there could have been some character arcs here. Like, um, you know, Dwayne does have an arc. Right. For sure. Um, I think he's the only one that does, honestly, in terms of like actual like um, A to B in terms of where he is and where he ends up. Everybody else is already kind of fixed in like where they're at and they don't really change at all. 
right? Yeah, they're, so, they're just 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 surface level, like really yeah. thin characters. I, I mean, I understand the the parents with their daughter. You know, they have kind of their arc too. Their daughter made a poor decision when she was younger, and they have to, you know, they want to take her to this clinic. That's kind of the through line for them. But everybody else is like, we don't understand their motives here. We don't. They won't get much of character development for yeah, them at all. And, and, and even the younger son, the younger blonder, um, like I, I wrote in my notes, uh, Ron and the Pearlman. That's what I wrote about the three kids. They're all the Pearlman. <laughs> um, like with his, um, you know, whenever they eventually things turn sideways and they, and um, Dwayne's like, okay, fine. You're not going to let me get to my daughter. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prey on this. And I'm going to have the creepiest voice ever tell me to protect the child. And he's not going to be, he's going to be like, is that Jeepus? Jeepus to, oh, listen to that wonderful protect the child. child. <laughs> like, just like, you know, like Bane is telling you to protect the child, you know, like whatever. <laughs> right. Like, just, you know, like, <laughs> like, I'm just like, man, God, God's a smoker. Like, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like hey, go for the filtered cigarettes, dude. I mean, seriously, well, would it have been better? I just wish it had been even better if we would have had John Carpenter do the voice of God, you know, and been like, <laughs> well, there, I, I haven't found any information that, that doesn't say that it wasn't him. I don't know. <laughs> it's just him. Just adding, like he's going through a processor, like, you know, being like, protect the child, you know, like, anyway. <laughs> You know, uh, that would be the second smoking joke I've made in this episode of people who listen to the full invasion one. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's just like, oh, you know what? You know what? Like that does sound, that does sound like God, right? Would it, also, would it have been better if you would have actually heard like this angelic voice? And then when we get to the thing at the end, if it had that voice, come on, that would have been kind of amazing. No, it would have been hilarious if it was like a scream situation where it's got the modulator. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> he holds up a little voice box, like, you know, like he's like, <laughs> actually, my name is, uh, my name is Milton. Thanks for coming. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, save the baby, you know, whatever. Anyway, just, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think that would be hilarious now. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but so I like there, there. There's a practicality, and it feels very, um, it feels very Stephen Kingish in the sense of like with Dwayne having his sons, right? That two of them are all in, and one isn't. But how one of them look? You can tell is already like like um, he works for like the phone company. You could tell because he has. They don't say it, but he has the tools. Right. Like he has yeah. like the, the, he has the, the harness that goes around and he has the like boot the spikes, straps. you know, all that stuff. Right. And he goes up to clip the phone wires. And then also the fact also like, you don't know when Dwayne goes to pick up his sons or we don't even know if they're still in the van this entire time. Maybe they were in the van to begin with. Um, how many guns he already has at the ready, <laughs> you know, like, so, but there's the thing too. He's like, um, you know, like, I, I like, I don't want to visit violence on them, but like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, but like, if they, if they won't let us save her and get her out of there, then we're going to do this. And it's like, it, it's almost like the, um, look at what you made me do type of situation, right? Of like, well, if they're not going to hand her over to us, that means that we get to use violence. It's like, no, like there's other ways to do this too. But he's, he's doing that kind of like, oh, it's not my, it, it's God's will. If you make me come out guns blazing type of thing that pisses me off. But I know that's the point. Well, here, here's the part too, that it's like, if somebody would have just made the one call to the authorities, mm -hmm. this could have been settled right away. Yeah. If, like why didn't the moment Dwayne see the van? called the cops and said, Hey yeah. dude, my, my underage daughter is in this facility and they're not letting me have her back. That would have immediately put the kibosh to that. Or, or know? the moment the van shows up within 500 yards, you call the authorities because he's already in yeah. violation, right? That's, that's like that, especially given the nature of, 
how like volatile people are when it comes to these, the, you know, these family planning clinics, you know, these abortion providing clinics. I, you know, I like I, they do provide that, but but like people need to understand, like they do more than that. It isn't just like it isn't just like that's the only thing they do. They like you know that Planned Parenthood is Planned Parenthood for a reason. They provide a number of other different services and. Other than that one thing, however, um, like um, I'll give you an example, Terry. There, uh, Bill O'Reilly, you know the 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 wonderful man that he is. Um, at the height of his powers, there was um, uh, what was it? There was a, a doctor that did perform abortions, and his last name was Tiller. And Bill O'Reilly labeled him Tiller the Baby Killer, and somebody oh eventually God. found this guy and murdered him. And Bill O'Reilly wasn't blamed for this, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, there's that. There's been so much violence visited upon these clinics and the people that work in them that, you know, you know, it's just, you would, you would think even then in 2003, when this was done, that it is, sorry, 2006, sorry, that it is smart that they clip the phone lines. So that way you can keep like, you know, communication in and out, but it's almost yeah, like controlling, you, the, controlling yeah. the situation for sure. You'd almost think that like, it would have been, it would have been interesting if they call the local authorities and you see like one of them pull up and just like, look at what's going on and be like, nah, and just drive away. Basically be like slow roll back. Yeah. Basically be like, Oh, it's Dwayne again, whatever. And like, they're like, I don't want to get in the middle of this. You know, you could see that kind of indifference would have been, you know, I think that would have spoke to something bigger too, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I may or may not when I was growing up, um, had, uh, you know, situations where you, where you, where you grow up and you find out that there's a domestic situation going on and the cops pull up, they're like, Oh, it's just domestic. Nah. And they just leave because <laughs> like, they don't want to get in the middle of it. It's like, Oh, to protect and serve, but not tonight, you know? So like, uh, yeah, it's just, there's a little bit of here and there where it's like, man, like you're right. Like why weren't you immediately calling the cops even with him calling? But at the same time, if he would have called them, I think the big thing would have been like, are you within 500 yards of the clinic? You know, like, I think that would have been the bigger thing. And I, but he also feels like the kind of guy it's like, um, I don't want to involve the authorities because clearly they were involved once and I got a restraining order against me, you know? And also he's, he's only bound by God's law, not man's law. Right. Is that, that's the kind of the vibe we get to. Well, yeah, for sure. But that's really why ultimately I'm like, if he is like, if he's not swayed by their, their power and their rules, I think he could easily just be like, I'm going to use this against the guys who got the restraining order against me in the first place and just get my daughter back. I did. No, like, it, it seems like Dwayne, it's like, he's, he's rational until he's not anymore. His point of, <laughs> like, of his point saying my daughter's 15, I, I have, um, you know, I have say over her. You don't is correct. Yeah. He's absolutely right about that. Right. So like, uh, and the fact that he was like, I'll give you 15 minutes. It's like, even then that that's showing probably uh, a lot more composure than like a lot of parents would regardless of their position, you know, like, mm. um, so I do like, I do agree that like, he's like giving them the opportunity to quote unquote, do the right thing. But also he even goes in later after shooting the doors off the place being like, you have my daughter here illegally. It's like, yeah, but now you're using guns. <laughs> like we're like, I don't know. Like I just, where, where's the hierarchy of like violence in terms of like, what's, what's the, <laughs> You know, like, oh, she's here and I want her back. I'm like, yeah, but now you've actually shot a guard in the head with some of the worst uh, effects I've ever seen in a, in a show. Um, like, it looked really bad. Like, like I would have preferred you pull the, the trigger and show the guard fall off camera versus what we saw. That was a terrible effect. 
Can we be honest? Yeah, that was, oh. the CG effect of like, I mean, if we, so we have the aftermath uh, uh, shot of him too on the ground. And I love how like, I don't know, a third of his brain is like blown off of his head or out of his head. But like the next scene, he's got <laughs> yeah. a full skull yeah. with just like a little bit of brain matter sitting by his face. Like, yep. I'm like, all right, that was, that's two different shots there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could have easily like, there's. Again, there's a way to probably cut around that, but like, dear God, I just, I did not like that. I was like, this is, this is terrible. And then later on with the father getting shot too, I'm like, do we need this? Do we, like, if you can't, for as much as they spent on some of the cool practical effects, which there are, sorry, there is one really cool practical <laughs> effect in this. The rest of it, not so much, but there was one that's amazing. Um, like in terms of like actual makeup and prosthetics, uh, but the rest of it, not so much. Like, I'm like, if you don't have the money for that and you, you, you spend all the money on like, you know on the father, the, the the character called the father. Cool. Um, like why, why did gunshots look better in a saw in precinct 13 than here when that yeah, was shot? Just like squibs yeah. and that's it. That's a, you don't really need anything more than squibs to get your point across. And even then, like if we are going to just start, I don't know, like taking out dudes left and right, do we necessarily need to show that either? Like, I don't, that, I mean, I, I think the story considering be, that we're getting some gruesome things later that are more implied. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like I again I'm nitpicking, but it's frustrating. It took me out. It took me out of it like a little bit. So so yeah, there's the whole thing too. Which by the way, did you notice that in the middle of all this, whenever we have Angelique who clearly in a, in a kind of a Prince of Darkness kind of way, she's going from showing that she's pregnant to full on like nine months of ready to pop pregnant within what, like an hour or so? Like not even that. Um there's also the other lady that was in the waiting room, they do a brief cutaway to show that they're they're doing a procedure on her, and it's like, and that's fine. But it's like, I was really confused the first time I watched that. I'm like, like, because it's like, I didn't really identify her as a character. And I'm like, so like, it was very confusing that, that in the middle of like, oh, this, this, this one person who was underage and her stomach is swelling in ways that oh, also our ultrasound machine got broke because of this thing. No, 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 no. We'll just take a break, eat like, like some tiny sandwiches, some finger foods, and then we'll go do this other procedure. Like, did, did that make sense to you? Like, that was really confusing to me. It was a little weird, but I didn't pay too much attention to it because there was already a bunch of shit at this point that I'm like, all right, well, I, I've already, I already know what kind of ride I'm in store for. You yeah, know? yeah, a wobbly one where the wheels are about to fall off. Protect so, the baby. Protect the baby. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> save Martha. Anyways. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh God! <laughs> you had to make the Superman v Batman reference, didn't you? <laughs> save. <laughs> and the baby. All right. So, um, but yeah, so the whole thing then we end up like, I like that. Um, Dwayne's like, I'm going to shoot this. Sorry. I'm going to have my one son sneak in and try to tell the guard to open the gate. And then that kid didn't pull the trigger. So I'm going to shoot the guard in the head. Um, I'm going to have my other, my other sons to shoot the gate open as opposed to being like, Hey, dumbass kid, go open the gate, you know, whatever. But I like, but, their, yeah, go ahead, please. I, I, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Here's the point in this story that I don't feel like it's very believable for the characters that we've already been, we had displayed to us. Dwayne actually gives the one son, the one son that is kind of hesitant. He actually is like, okay with him not going in and guns a blazing. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, well, cool. You know what? This we're all doing this for the right reason to save your sister. It's like, you could just sit out here, but don't let anybody leave. Yeah. Like, Cause, it's the, like, cause he the kids still like, has responsibility, yeah. but it's like, 
that's the point where I'm like, wait, Dwayne, what happened here? Like, <laughs> but but I also like that. Like the son's like, I don't think I got a what's. I don't think I have a, what's in me to do this. And I'm like, which I thought that was going to be like, I thought that was going to be the turn, right? Because I thought yeah. that you know, in a way, I again the name pro life. I was like, maybe you know, maybe we're going to get like a little bit of like, you know, this isn't what I signed up for type of bit, right? With him. Um, but yeah, but like, but then at least with his father being like, you know, like, okay, fine. I understand that. Like, you know, you, you're, you're, you're a failure as a son, but don't let anybody else leave or whatever. He doesn't say failure of a son, but you could tell he's thinking it, you know, he's like, you know, look at you blonde, you know, like you're, you're not the rest of us anyway. So, um, and I thought that he was going to throw deuces and leave, man. Yeah. Like when I, when we see the family trying to make their escape, yeah, the other family, the father, the, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're making a, a, you know, a, you know, a shot for the car. And all of a sudden there's the boy still like still outside. It's like, I forgot about him at this point. I was like, <laughs> it was like there is absolutely no character development with this kid whatsoever. See, other than this yeah. pure emotional moment where he's telling his dad, like, yeah, I'm not a murderer. And I, that was pretty much, I, I it. think it would have been even better where like, as they run outside, you realize that he is the father of the, that kid, that, that girl's baby. And it's like, they're all just getting the car and they haul ass out. Like, that would have been amazing. Be like, you know, whatever her name is, like, you know, Starla, you, let's get out of here. Whatever this, like, I'll leave. That'd have been amazing. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I did, whatever that was, that didn't play out very well. Um, also, we forgot to mention earlier, uh, whenever Angelique is telling, telling um, the powers that be, it's like, oh God, it's God's will for you to kill my baby. You're like, oh, well, that's a thing. That's kind of weird. But anyway, so yeah, fast forward. He gave now. me a doctor's note. Yeah. Um, you can go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, ignore the, ignore the loud voice out there talking around Perlman. Um, <laughs> did you hear that? I think it said protect the baby. Uh, yeah. Um, so then that's like, I like that eventually I like that whenever, um, uh, uh, you know, Dwayne and company go to get into the compound, like the compound, get into the clinic. They have no problem shooting the gate open, but when they get to the front door, they're like, there has to be another way. And I'm like, you literally just shot a gate. Why are you hesitating? There like a big window right yeah, there too. But it's like, like, I, but it's like, but like, it was, but it's like the whole thing is like, why are you hesitating not shooting the door right now? Cause you've already shot a gate. You know, like you're, cause there's the line, like one of the lines I like of this, it's, it's just a cool line is, um, what it says, noise doesn't matter. Speed does. That's a cool line. When he tells his yeah. kids like, but at this point it's like our cover's blown. We got to get this done. I thought that, I thought that yeah, was a and, cool and, line. And, like, and this, uh, and that also gives like kind of a, a little bit more character to Dwayne too. It, it makes me think that maybe he, he might be ex special forces or something like that. And, you know, he has like a bunker where his kids have always been prepared for this moment kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that feels, yeah, it feels like he's been one of those people that's been like, cause also this, the, the license plate's Oregon, right? So like you're, you know, it, there, there's some, not to get too far into it, but Oregon has a lot of roots and like, um, like very much white nationalist racist history. If I recall yeah, doomsday preppers and yeah, stuff now. Right. But there's a lot of like, you know, yeah. So it's very, I, I'm going to guess that they put Oregon plates on the, the vehicle because of a shooting in Vancouver, <laughs> you know, but if you, if you really want to get into the history, I think Oregon was a state that was pretty much created by a bunch of white people that didn't, that didn't want to deal with others, you know? So yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. With him, you're going to guess he's probably a strict father, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, we're anyway, like you can't listen to that rock and roll. You can't like, you know, like the fact that the daughter was reading Moby Dick is probably questionable enough just because of the title of the book, 
when we get to her flashback. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, let's talk about that flashback real quick. We're her telling um, the the people at the clinic of what happened to her, how she was just was eating ice cream and listening to records because it was like, cause clearly she was living in 1963 versus 2006, um, doing homework, you know. Anyway, and then she got bored and was not focused. She went outside to the swing set, and then um, a demon burst through the ground and just like uh, impregnated her. What? What? I, I don't I what? don't understand like this uh. I, this, I, I guess it's like a montage thing of like what she probably experienced. I'm like, is that just a lava lamp with like a filter over it? Like what, what's going on here? Like, what is that? <laughs> I just, it was just one of those things. It's like, I, I guess on the surface of like, you're just going to go outside and just hang out for a second and look at the stars and like, you know, um, the hands at the end of evil dead reach up and grab you. Right. Like I get it. Right. Like they burst out. Uh, and they pull you underground. It's like that. I mean, the, yeah, any, that's going to be a bad day in real life for anybody. But it's just like it just like it. It doesn't track for me with the religious devotion. The like the very much like super like you know like um, evangelical like type devotion that Dwayne has. That something like that would happen, and then him be like not believe her. And then be like, oh, you got pregnant a week ago. I need to protect this baby. Like, wouldn't it, I, I don't know, man. Like, wouldn't it feel better? It, like, not feel better. But wouldn't it play better if it was more like, like, um, if it was less uh, violent and he would view it as like a Virgin Mary scenario to protect the baby? And, and be, I, I feel like it, some of the story is kind of rooted in, in that idea. But I then it just goes off the rails pretty quick from that. And it's just o- overall hatred for the fact that she's at this clinic and he knows what they do. Like, that's really yeah. like, that is the main priority now. It's like just to prevent them from getting the baby. Well, it's just and like, it's like, I just, if, it, w- w- like if her, if she would have told the story without showing the, the actual flashback where we know what happened, mm-hmm. I think that would have been more interesting to create like this moment of doubt because the, 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 was it Alex and company believe that she was actually accosted by her father. Right. Like, I think we could have left that seed of doubt where it was, where like he could have been adamant that like, it's a miracle from God. And I was told to protect the baby and, and, you know, and it's like, but no, we had to see this actual demonic thing happen to her. So we have no doubt that what's going on like within her is evil. Aside from the whole, like, you know, belly breaking, you know, the ultrasound wand shit. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it have been better to play a little bit more ambiguous with that just for a minute? I don't know. I, I think that would be a little bit more uh, entertaining, I guess. It would, be, it would but it's like I, it, the fact that we're getting something that is so balls to the wall now. It's, it's like I think they were really hoping that people would be like, "Oh my god, this is nuts," and they just like are there for a spectacle, you know? Yeah, but fair enough. But then, uh, as the assault starts happening on, you know, assault on a clinic thirteen, um, and then breaking in and whatever, and there's the showdown with uh, Doctor Guns. Which, you know, I, I like that he's like, oh, all right, here we go. And he goes to his, like, his, like, safe and opens up and pulls out two guns and a vest. Which, um, I you know what? Like, I'm not, like, that doesn't seem unreasonable to me considering the nature of work that they're in. That even, even Dwayne later calls out, he's like, oh, you have guns, you're expecting this. It's like, like, 
not expecting, but hoping it would never happen. You know, I think there's a difference yeah, there, I, right? I feel like, yeah, Dwayne, you remember that, uh, you know, that restraining order thing? I think you you started this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah. There's a little bit I of a when yeah. when I when I had to start dealing with you is when I got my uh you know my uh yeah. my registration when I, when I got my you know my got my permit to carry right yeah you know so yeah <laughs> um but then I, during this time though the other okay so the next part where I was like okay I don't know about this episode is whenever they went to go uh, what was it um, Sam was it not Sam um the, uh, the was it Sam because um, Alex is the other person uh, sorry Kim Kim is the other uh, person the other part the partner that we see when she goes to check on the dilation of Angelique and she gets, um, slime. <laughs> I lost it, dude. I just absolutely, I'm like, what is this? A guar music video? Like what the hell is going on in here? <laughs> oh, Odorous is right in between her legs. Like, oh. if there was any, if there was any more goo going on, I would expect an orange flag from double dare to fly out. And you had to grab it and hand it on to the next person. <laughs> Mark Summers is on the side. <laughs> and then try to keep his distance yeah, from all of it. Yeah, and while, while, while uh, Kim's like, it burns, it burns. Like, no, hand it off, hand it off to Alex. So you can go run and run to the big ear. So you can go on. It's fine. Like it is. It is so it was, so stupid. It is so stupid. It was an abnormal amount of whatever was in. Like I just love the uh, Angelique's like response too. She just kind of looks down. She's like, "Oh, well, look at that." I mean, you know? <laughs> I don't know if I if I let that much out of me, I'd probably be like, "Whew, all right." Like somebody somebody light a match. I'm good for a minute. Whatever. It's just, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. If this was just, like, I, if there was a a part to honestly go laugh out loud that was this part right here and i think it just like it it takes away from the tension so much because like we just saw people get murdered on the screen yeah and all of a sudden this scene happens this is just so comical at this point yeah <laughs> like, we forgot the there was hell? the showdown where one of the other sons gets shot in the neck and whatever it's fine but like but then we cut to this and it was like oh like what is going on and then but also too whenever um like kim's like it burns it burns it burns and then like like a couple minutes later she's fine. I'm like like we didn't see like any type of like makeup effects. Like how how much more interesting would have been like basically she's blinded now for life because of whatever just happened. Whatever. Yeah. yeah We're I, good. I, I mean, yeah, cuz yeah, why not? Cuz you have everywhere to go with this story now at yeah. this point. Like at this point everything's out still on the table. Yeah, every, every, <laughs> yeah everything's gone, right? Like everything's so stupid, right? So so yeah, that happened. Uh, but yeah, so whatever's inside her, like whatever the, the baby's coming and, uh, but then, but then talking about the pacing, this is whenever, um, you know, Dwayne goes into, um, oh, the doctor's office, uh, um, Dr. Um, Kiefer, right. And he, after, cause Kiefer's already got shot in like his good hand and whatever he had the bulletproof breast, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, Dwayne's like, no, 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 no. They, they, he starts monologuing. He's like, I have to punish you. It's like, I thought your goal was to save your daughter, right? Like he's incapacitated, but no, you're going to make this a spectacle. And it's like, and I get that. It's like, he's having, like, he believes he's God's wrath. And the way the whole sequence is gross and upsetting. And like, you know, not dissimilar to Udo Kier and Cigarette Burns, like when we find him feeding his intestines into the, the film reels, into the projector, yeah. we get something like this too. So you can tell Carpenter's having fun with this. And it, if, if the pacing wasn't so off and like, if you're worried about your daughter, if you're, if you're this character that you're worried about your daughter having an abortion and ending a life, 
do you think you would like stop for a side quest? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It feels weird. Like, it just feels like maybe if you cared about your daughter, which I'm not doubting, then you think that would be your focus as opposed to, no, I'm going to punish this guy. Right. Like, so it feels weird to me. It's like, what did they have? Like the room that she's in soundproof. Cause she's screaming bloody murder Um, at this point. This clinic isn't so big, right. That the noise is coming out of that room for everybody screaming and panicking. I'm sorry. Like you had to have heard that like at some point, right? Like unless, unless that room is like two miles away, which it's not right. You would think you would have heard something. Um, because yeah, cause she is in utter pain. Also, you got, um, the one attendant, you know, goo covered <laughs> screaming. Um, you have everybody else like, like you think it would have been pretty easy to figure out where she was stored, like where she was being kept at in terms of like, you have your offices, then you probably have your procedure rooms nearby. Like, so yeah, you're right. The sound, the sound in this is weird that like, um, yeah, you think you would have heard it. Right. Cause yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's like, but like you may, you put it perfectly. Like the fact that, uh, Dwayne, has this, like this moment, like this is the, this is where I have to prove a point now. Like I'm in this torture chamber that you guys have here or whatever the hell he calls it. It's like, mm-hmm. but that you completely like, like your whole mission here was to get your daughter. Then suddenly that's just now not important. Like. <laughs> Like, yeah. where is she? She's probably getting the procedure done, quote unquote, from what he understands. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it should the, have been more of a sense of urgency. You were just blowing doors apart. Like, <laughs> no, you're right. Like, if the whole thing is like, if if the if the doctor is an obstacle because he has guns and is trying to keep you away from her, but you now he's you now know he's incapacitated. Okay, move on. Right. Like yeah, now know. he's just spiking the ball. Like it's, just yeah. like, <laughs> and, but then the whole thing, it. Yeah, but, but also too, it's like, you know, like him, I, like, I know that, okay. I know this is neither here nor there. Um, uh, Dwayne's character, um, is oddly, um, knowledgeable about these procedures and how to use older equipment to complete evacuations and abortions. Right. So I'm just like, man, what, how much did like, like, what did you learn on the internet? Like, how much do you know about this? Right. But it's like, so yeah, the whole thing, but also credit to Carpenter, the way he shot this, like you don't see, um, you don't see the immediate, the, like the intimate violence, but there's enough implied, especially when we get like the collection tube, right. Whatever's going on. Like that's all fun and gross in terms of like fun as in, um, you're, you're, it's a gross moment. It's a gore, right? Like it, it's like gleeful in terms of like Dwayne's delivering judgment. So you could tell Carpenter was having a good time with this. It's just that in terms of the edits, in terms of the storytelling, I'm like, it just doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me because it would have been, I don't know. Like if you wanted to have that moment and I'm not saying that you couldn't have done that in terms of a story and make it upsetting and very, um, very appropriate, maybe frame it differently. I don't know how, I I don't know how you get to that moment in terms of the ticking clock scenario of this girl that even though Dwayne doesn't know that whatever's going on with her is accelerating. I'm going to guess like from, from um, the week before when the demon got to her and uh, you know, raped her, Till now, he probably saw a physical difference and been like, oh, like women get pregnant and like they give birth in like 10 days. Like, I know I have four children. I mean, you know, maybe who knows, you know, like you think he'd be aware of the process. 
Yeah, um, I mean, you know. yeah, four kids have probably gotten you there by this point. <laughs> um, oh, that blonde kid just took three weeks. I don't know. He's I, just, I think there should be like a super cut of this episode, and it would just like, like I think it would feel like the the tightness would feel a little bit better, you know. And yeah. I don't mean that. No, a no. Pun. If you uh, if you would cut this, where it would be. Um, Almost from the jump where you don't even need the bit of her running through the woods. You don't even need the car bit, right? You could just have her, um, like, you know, already at the clinic and you don't, you don't know the relationship between the, the two people because it does not pay off whatsoever. Um, and have her looking at the van being like, don't let him in. And then cut to cut out. Like if there's a way to cut around, um, the one woman in the waiting room, because it doesn't matter. Uh, and then cut around like best you can with the family and then the moment um, the doctor is incapacitated and then you can even have like, you know, Dwayne be like, oh, you're, you're shooting hand, you know, like, oh, sucks to be you. You, you, you could have had something a little bit more um, urgent. You know what I mean? Right. That's what I, like, I, I think that's like there, there, there's something here. There is um, there's some decent bones to this. Right. But like, it's. Very frustrating. But then, yeah, so he takes his time. He sucks the guts out of the one doctor. It's gross. But then in the meantime, we have Angelique giving birth to the, the to whatever this is, uh, to, um, what was it? I just red lobsters, lobster fest or whatever is going on. Um, yeah. Crab, crab I just fest. like the crab legs that come up or whatever the hell they are. Yeah. Like, By the way, kind of that, that, that's kind of cool. That moment's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, but considering what comes out, once we see after, that's not cool. Uh, but that's, that brief bit, <laughs> that brief bit of like the like the legs, po- like that's very um, upsetting in terms of like what that could be, right? Like, um, but then when we eventually get like the actual baby, that is one of the dumbest designs I've ever seen ever. <laughs> if it would have been just insectoid, like I, I would have been cool with that. I mean, I think one of the most terrifying movies in cinema or moments in cinema is when, uh, you know, we get um, the fly. And Gina Davis's character gives birth to the oh, maggot. maggot. It's a dream sequence, but it's terrifying. Yeah, it, it is. It's yeah. nightmare inducing. Yeah. Like it's shit. If we would have gotten, if they would actually just cut to the image of the head walking away on the stalks from the thing, I'd have been way happier. It'd been fine, you know. Like, um, but no, it's just like it was. You you chose to do something that was like a um, creepy crawly lobster thing with a baby's head. It's like okay, maybe on paper. In terms of writing that out, that'd be cool. But it's like, oh, you gotta tell me that when you're working on the effects, you're like, I don't know, man. Like, like when did Toy Story come out? This feels like one of the toys that Sid built. You know, like one of the <laughs> shitty, shitty, yeah. shitty Sid toys. You know, like it's just like I, I think I think uh, Toy Story came out prior to this. It did. Actually. It did. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just like, oh my gosh, like Sid, Sid's the father. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was their homage to Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> No, but the God. way the thing runs away, like you could tell that they're they're like you could tell Carpenter was framing a little bit like the thing with uh, the head monster, right? Um, and then even later on, when we ended up getting a uh, Darvant doing something something similar with one of the spiders from um, and the mist, right? Like you get that vibe, but it doesn't work. This thing doesn't work, and it's gross. It's it's gross in the sense of like I'm good. I'm, I don't need to see this ever again. But the the brief moment when you see the actual like. Um, like crab or insect legs coming out that is upsetting right it is it's just that like you you set up something and you didn't pay it off at all like it's very ugh. anyway so um so yeah the kid's born whatever it is um and then while it scur- scurries away 
Um, I also like too that the that's was it Sam and Alex like they hightail it out of the room because he's like I got to protect the, the the hot piece of ass because she, she's on she got covered in goo. Well, I mean twice that day. Um, (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, like he's like, oh no, F this 15 year old girl and the things she's going through. I got to protect my, uh, my side piece over here. Um, so, so that happens. But then meanwhile, uh, we hear this like rumbling and this thunder and uh, Angelique's like, Oh, the father's here. And so we ended up getting the, the, was it the escort gentleman that like not escort, but like he's the, the valet for the people in the clinic, like, which is an important job. Like you, if there's people protesting, if there's people being assholes, like you want somebody there to kind of be like, ignore them. I'm going to put you in this wheelchair. We're going to go and get out. Just ignore them. But that's an important job. Doug is an idiot though. Um, well, just, like Doug is a dumbass. Um, the floor breaks open, which is a kind of okay a moment, right? And then Doug's like, oh, shit, there's a hole in this floor, and there's, like, smoke coming out of it. I guess I better walk up to it. <laughs> Doug is a dumbass. Like Doug gets taken out pretty quickly here. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very evil dead style. <laughs> you know, just, like, gone, right? Like, so then so then we get, we get the character of the father. We get Derek Mears in full-on prosthetics and he, he pops up out of this hole out of the floor and he, whatever this is, it's the best looking practical makeup prosthetic effect in the whole episode. It is a cool design. Yeah. Kind of demonistic minotaur. Um, it's pretty sweet looking, you know, and it, I mean, it, it, it has some uh, movement to the, yeah, the articulation because the, the eyes move yeah. too, like the actual eyes yeah. move. And like, it's a, it's, it's a cool looking thing. Right. And it's like, Oh, you're going to be disappointed in your child because it looks nothing like you. But anyway, so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I'm not a crab person. And then you see like the crab guy scuttling away, like, you know, like, uh, you know um, I don't know what that means, but so that's that Jerry Springer here. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Zoidberg is the father, not, uh, not you um, gentlemen, but so then we eventually get like uh, Dwayne and the one son that who's alive and that's not the blonde, um, you know, the the not the not the you know, the one he's upset about and saddened with. The one son left and they're like, oh, like they come in and they think that the procedure was completed, but then they they figure out there's like they hear the baby and 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 Dwayne's like protect the baby, protect the baby, and then the one son's like, oh, I saw the baby. Nah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like nah i know it's my nephew but that's way too many legs for a nephew i gotta go like so he you know and so he wants to leave uh but i also like do like do they understand that like angelique is like she looks like she's like playing dead but then when they look away she opens her eyes which is like the dumbest thing possible i don't like that too it's like oh are you dead uh, don't don't take her away god and it's like they didn't actually bother to see if she was alive or not and then she opens her eyes when they're not looking. Like it's like a Nickelodeon like sitcom or some shit. I just it was annoying. Yeah, it was, it was pretty silly. But at this point now, she's got to try anything she can to. I mean, because the father and then her father, like who knows what's going to be next here. It's, but, al- uh, it's always tough to meet like you know the other parents, right? You know, yeah. like just whatever. <laughs> you know, you always got to worry about the in-laws, so that's tough. But. 
But yeah, like she says, like the father of my baby's like showing up and then Dwayne's like, what do you mean? He looks down and sees like, you know, like for someone that's supposed to protect the baby and is supposed to love the baby unconditionally, he suddenly has questions. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, you know, like, so. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, we don't have as many crab legs in our family as this baby does. But yeah, he's like, oh, what's going on? And he's like questioning God and God's will and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, now you have a crisis of faith not when you shot somebody innocently and then also vacuum the guts out of somebody's like, butt, like, like two minutes ago. Right. Like, Oh no, no. Oh, like I'm the bad guy. Now you're traumatized. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So then he runs into the father and the father's like, you know, protect the baby. And he's like, Oh, Oh, it was, I was lied to him. Like no shit, idiot. You know, so which and then he must have he must have gotten dispatched because we don't see anything. No, we but. don't. Which like it took me till the second time through. I'm like, did he die? I'm like, yeah, he died. But for all the times we've seen violence not shown well on screen, the one person that we probably shot should have seen getting dispatched properly, we didn't. Right? Yeah. Which I find curious because I mean he straight up was just murdering people with with no concerns whatsoever. Yeah, and then we don't get to see even the bit like a bit of violence towards him from this creature thing. Yeah, it seems. I weird. think that should have been his comeuppance that we should have gotten here. Yeah, it's know? almost it's almost like he should have been the one taken by the the demon that been like I suddenly know how to use all this equipment. <laughs> You know, like whatever anyway. Uh, but yeah. So then we end up having the bit where Angelique's like trying to call the baby over. She has a gun. And it's like, like that's a really messed up sequence. Like in terms of like, if you think about it, it, it doesn't play well. Um, this should be, this should be the emotional hammer of the sequence of the whole episode. Right. Of her, even though like she believes that God's calling to kill her baby, this is her baby. And she's calling it over and this thing's making goo goo ga ga noises and skittering over because, you know, it's crab leg day and she shoots it point blank and kills it. There should be, um, something a lot more remote. I, I, I should feel devastated that this is happening and it, it's not there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't ring true at all. It, it seems to be played that way, but I don't get that. That's what, I, that's I don't what get, I'm saying. Like, like, there, the way it's no, written, there's nothing emotional it, for it me. It should be least. devastating, but it's not, right? Yeah. Like, it should be, it, like, you know, yeah. And we got, like, you know, the demon creature thing coming in. He's like, roar, roar. And he picks up the baby. But the fact that, that the, the, the father picks up the baby and actually, like, does, like, like it, it's treating it gently and actually kind of, like, like upset that it's dead. Yeah, it's, is, he's like it, it's stroking this yeah, thing. That too. actually, to me, is like that's even like sadder, and like that that plays a little bit, a little bit to me, right? Versus her, but then it just leaves, and it's like, oh, all right, well, you're Credits, gone now. Uh, no, but it's it, like it's over. not even that. No, well, not no, not that. We get Alex and Kim coming back, and they're like, oh shit, we forgot. Like you know, this 15 year old girl that is like just spit out a crab baby, whatever, right? Like just like hey. Um, how are you doing? She's like, God's will is done. And it's like, we're done. Like, what? What? No, oh, no, 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 no. There's the other, there's the other person that was working there with the other patient that's in the corner that saw Doug die. We don't see what happened to them. Um, we don't like, we don't get even a brief moment. Like we don't like, I know sometimes like this leaving a story where it is, is like way better, but it would have been like, I don't know, man, like considering how random, um, the 
impregnate, you know, impregnating like a 15 year old and then creating like the situation is it's like, don't you think the father's like, Oh shit, man. Oh, it's a date ends in a while. I guess I'll try again later. Like, it just like, why was this the one time this happened? You know, like it just feels like, Oh, well this baby didn't make it cause somebody shot it. Guess I'll just try again. Like there should be something a little bit more, I mean, everybody, everybody's never going to be good again, right? Like nobody's going to walk away from this feeling good about themselves. Right. But well, no, I mean, it's especially, uh, you know, a couple of these characters uh, bla- where they bled out on the ground. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of carnage here that if any of the authorities show up to, they're going to be like, what the hell happened? Well, I, I feel like this is when Carpenter should have taken a page out of the fog where everything was done. But the, the very last minute you have um, the priest come back out into like, you know, the main part of the church and then the ghosts show up because it's like they they're still owed a debt. Right. Like you need that, that moment of like, Oh, things are okay, but not for everybody. I don't know, man. Like there's, there was, there was something here that was just missing a little bit of that. Like, you know, like that, this, again, this isn't Carpenter's script, but the kind of like the, um, F you moment. And as much as we know, emotionally, no one's going to be right. Rightfully. So there wasn't that, like, there wasn't that knife twist at the end. You know what I mean? Like that was frustrating to me. So, I mean, I guess we'll get into like the other bits here. I, how do you feel like this compares to like things that he's shot in his past? Like, especially considering cigarette burns, how do you feel like the the comparison those two sit with you? Um, again, I'm going to, I'm going to put it at the feet of the, the screenwriters of the, both of them that like, I'm not saying that, um, the, both of them, like McWeeny and Swan didn't have, good ideas because cigarette burns is a really, it's a really fun idea. And in terms of like exploring, like, like, you know, taboo cinema and also the juxtaposition of naming a piece pro-life when you're like the different things pulling at it. That's a really cool idea in terms of like exploring the social and the emotional side of things. But it's like, it just where I feel like cigarette burns is like polished in terms of a story. Um, this isn't, and I feel like this, like considering also too, like if, if you got the green light in the go ahead from John Carpenter in season one, that you, that they, they, that he liked your script and then you're going to pitch him an idea. I don't know, man. I don't know about you, but it's like, wouldn't you like double down to make it like the greatest goddamn thing in the world? Well, yeah. I mean, especially like when you have like, and I considered, um, cigarette burns, a, a really interesting, and uh, you know, it was a good watch. You know, um, the storyline was tight, and I thought it was it was just it was an interesting watch. But like, yeah, when you have something like that, wouldn't you want to set the bar a little higher for yourself? Like, yeah, I I think this story compared to cigarette burns is a little lacking. Oh no, it, and, it is, and it's like it's, just, <laughs> it's like and, and like, a mess. It, it is a mess. Um, and it's very wobbly and uneven and, and also to like, just what, what is interesting to me about this is like looking at the notes here from, um, the book, um, we'll get into this. Like I talked about the book earlier that the, the same situation happened with Carpenter where it was like a tight sketch, like shooting schedule. Uh, he got the people he wanted, like he had a lot of fun. Like it was a very easy shoot for him. Meaning we we've talked about in times past where sometimes there's difficulties, whatever, um, he didn't, he came away with, with the same type of like, yeah, it was, it was, you know what? I had a good time with this 
And then whenever this one came out and people were kind of trashing it, he was like, well, you know what? Like, I don't see the same things you do. Like I walked away from both experiences, like feeling fulfilled and whatever. Like, I'm not going to take that away from him. Um, if you would have told me that this is a carpenter directed thing or um, insert TV director here, it would have been a coin flip. And that's, that's very sad to me. It is. And it's like, you know, maybe him just kind of staring down at his, uh, you know, his punch card, knowing that he was going to be kind of for the most part done directing. I mean, you know, we have the ward coming after this, but, but like really even that, like I, I turned that movie off. Like, I just didn't feel like it felt as much of a Carpenter film as well, a lot of his there's other reasons stuff for that. We'll get to that the, the next time we cover that. But like, but um, yeah, I could yeah. like, like just this even compared to cigarette burns. I, I feel like there was something really lacking here in, in, in style and ex and execution with the, the, the film. This is the definition of a B side, right? Like yeah. you got like, you know, cigarette burns is the A side. This is the B side where, Maybe you wanted to kind of like noodle around and like maybe find something a little different. It didn't quite work out fair enough, but it's like, um, I just (laughs) knowing the creative talent behind it and the potential for it. Um, and again, I, you know, like who knows how many revisions the script went through. I don't think many, (laughs) you know what I mean? Considering the tight timeframe, um, I'm really, and also like, like, um, the father, Effects are amazing. Why does the baby look like shit? Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it looks terrible. It, like it I, looks... yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was just too much going on for the the effects crew in that. And they, 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 <laughs> that they had... like, they're like your effects crew. Like your effects budget is like you know what two hundred thousand dollars. They're like, hey, we spent a hundred and ninety five thousand dollars on uh, the father. They're like, oh well, you have the rest. Of the... Well, I guess we got some legs. Like, okay, I, great. I, 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 what it honestly <laughs> felt like with that, with that sculpt is yeah. that they had something that they were going to use for another production and they just took a baby, like a, a mannequin head or something and put it on it. Like I'm, you tell you listener, you look at that thing and tell me I'm wrong because it is an amalgamation of only two things, a baby doll head and a freaking bug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so frustrating. Right. So, so yeah, um, I am, I am not a fan of this. Um, so, uh, with that being said, um, let's see here. Uh, it's interesting that, um, that the, the gentleman that wrote this book, assault in the system is actually a little bit more, um, he is a little bit more favorable to this. We're saying there were some good ideas and also credit to Carpenter, um, addressing the, the, the topic of abortion head on credit, credit to that. Like he's never shied away from a social issue, right? Let's be fair. And he has his own politics, his own like positions. And also you mentioned, uh, Ron Perlman is Dwayne where, um, yeah, he eventually goes too far, but in terms of the early going, he's not painted as like a, a complete lunatic, which, um, that would be the easy thing to do. And the, the promo could have easily been, like, you, you know, he's capable of being like over the top and chewing scenery, which we love him for that, but that's not what he does here. And I think there's some credit to be had that I'm not saying he's sympathetic. I'm just saying that, um, he is relatable. If that makes sense. Like when I, when I mentioned him being more of like a King 
character, like a Stephen King character where it's like, oh shit, this guy, this guy is um, not, he's not good, but you understand where he's coming from. Now I'm not saying you give him permission, but you understand. So I think there's right. something he's to be given, said there. He's given enough motivation and enough uh, backstory to just kind of be like, okay, I could see this person really existing in the real world and understand why they would do the things, but not really justify their reasons for doing yeah. it. So but. that that's the strength, right? But like overall, my God, watching this twice was uh, nah, two times too many. I just... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, so all right. So then, um, um, before like I, I, I will get into a little bit of history here, like after this, leading into uh, the final edition of the Year of Carpenter that we'll get into an invasion of the podcast. But um, so um, I know normally on the show we do a twist rating. I don't think that's applicable here because you said you saw this before. Whatever, like there's no twist here. It is. It's just mean all the way down, which is fine, but it just, I don't know. It just felt for something that was trying to play it so straight faced, but then we ended up getting like what we got. It just, the, the tone, like there, I'm frustrated because I can see what could have been versus what we got. And that's where I'm frustrated because I know what Carpenter is capable of and I know like when he collaborates with people, what, what is capable of. And even with this being a, like, by the way, like let's, let's, let's rewind the clock back a little bit. Um, when he made, um, um, they live and, um, Prince of darkness, those were both $2 million budgets, film budgets at the time. This was 1.8 million for TV. Wow. Um, but it, granted 1.8 million, like later is not as much as it was for like, you know, in terms of inflation, Think about that for a second, right? What I'm saying is like, there's a stark difference in terms yeah. of those two. As much as like, I love They Live. It's I don't, I think the third act's a little kind of like abrupt and Prince of Darkness, I love as well, but I feel like they're like, they're not, they're not my favorite Carpenter products, but I really, really like them a lot, right? But considering that he was able to work in a lower budget medium and Cigarette Burn speaks to that too, right? But it's like, just think about that too. It's like, you know, you know, he can make, he can stretch, stretch a dollar. And just seeing this, it's like, uh, I guess where I come down on this, where I'm, I'm more frustrated at knowing what he's capable of doing when he like, not when he gives a shit, that's not the right thing I want to say, but like, I don't know. Like, I feel like this was him being like, I, yeah, I'll take, I'll take a vacation up and, va and like, I know I'm not making money off of this, but I'm going to have, like, I, I like the story. Uh, it's going to be fun. I like the actors. Let's just have a good time. Nothing against him. I'm sure this was probably a fun shoot to be a part of. I'm sure the day of the goo shooting would, was fun. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like I'm sure everybody was having a good time um, to be a fly on the wall. Would be a good time. But it's like, I don't think that translates to this. And that is very disappointing. Yeah. The ingredients were there and we all wanted more of them. But, you know, it's like then when we finally put it in the oven, it came out half done. It, so. came out, it came out a, a spider baby. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, the, yeah. they can't all be winners, man. And I will say that John Carpenter is one of my favorite directors of all time. Um, he has a weird career um, <laughs> yes. in the outfit. Yeah. So. so that's, that's fair. So let me, let me just speak to a couple things here that um, is, are, are interesting to me that I did not know. So then, um, so after, before pro-life came out, uh, because of the, of the critical success of cigarette burns, he was actually approached to um, 
do a TV pilot written by uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Winnick titled Zombieland uh, in 2005. Because that was originally envisioned as a TV pilot, and then eventually it was like, nah, maybe we should make that into a movie, and he walked away from it. Think about that for a second. That's interesting. I yeah. I had no idea that that was supposed to be something they were gearing to do, do for television first. Yeah, mm. um, because I think also, the oh, did they go on to do... Um, those guys, I think they wrote Deadpool, um, and there's something else coming out soon that they 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 are um, they, they've gone on to do other things too. But yeah, Zombieland was going to originally be it was written for TV. I know originally it was also after the movie came out, there was a pitch for Amazon to make it a TV series. There's like like what ten pilots people voted on, and it, it didn't go past that. But yeah, the idea that like Carpenter was like um, earmarked to do to direct Zombieland as like this TV pilot, that would have been interesting. But anyway, and then in 2007, a production company called gold circle films approached John with the script, uh, by a- Adam Simon and Tim Meg- Metcalf called the haunting in Connecticut. He passed on it. Um, which that's not a great movie. Um, but the reason I mentioned that to you, Terry, can I tell you the worst sequel title ever I've ever heard of in my life that came out from the haunting in Connecticut? Hit me. Do you, do you know the sequel name for The Haunting of Connecticut? Uh, I don't know. Okay. And t- tell me the problem with this when I tell you the name. <clears throat> the Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia. Well, yeah. <laughs> it says it right in the title. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that title. And my, like, do you ever have one of those moments where you feel like you got like a nosebleed and you're like, oh, God, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, so then, um, before we get like, like, so last thing I'll mention here, um, um, like, like, cause I was working at Blockbuster when, uh, Haunting in Connecticut part two, Ghost of Georgia came out and I just wanted to vomit blood. It was just the title <laughs> made me so mad. It made me so mad. Uh, uh, new image and millennium films were all set to produce a film, uh, which was retitled as rise. Um, sorry, riot. Not cause I can't read riots. Um, uh, which was a prison film where it was supposed to be, it was originally called scared straight where like, like a scared straight program was going through a prison and then like a ride happened. And there was a young innocent child that was like stuck in the middle of things. And one prisoner was like, I'm going to protect this kid. And that, that kid that, sorry, that prisoner was supposed to be Nicholas cage. Right. Um, hmm. it was supposed to be like this thing. It was the like greenlit originally it was renamed to riot. A teaser poster was unveiled in November, 2008, uh, promising a 2009 release. Uh, by October 2009, the project was officially dead in the water. So we almost got a prison riot film with Nick Cage directed by John Carpenter. Christ in heaven, I need that film so badly. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I just it sounds so interesting that I wonder how that really would have looked and how it would right? turned out. Just I, I just I want it. I want bring it to me now. But anyway, so yeah, that's where we're at. We're um, so in terms of um, you know. Year Carpenter uh, on Invasion of the Podcast. We have one more thing to get to, which is the word. We'll get to it in like a month or so, and we're going to wrap up the year. Uh, but yeah, I, Terry, thank you uh, for um, digging in because I know we talked about cigarette burns like two years ago. I think th- this was the. I think you were the right person to talk about the bookend in terms of Master of Horror um, and getting into it and giving it the Strange Highways treatment. Um, you know, um, good, bad, otherwise, like. Thank you, and I appreciate the, the journey. Uh, so. Dude, I, I knew it was going to be fun either way. Uh, you know, it's always a good time talking to you about film. 
uh, and just especially John Carpenter. It's like we obviously have such a, an appreciation for his work that I, I think it would be it, it, it would be remiss of us to like at least not get into the other episode for Masters of Horror, in which I'm still uh, game to get into more Masters of Horror for our other for oh, our for podcast. Sure. No, no, because you recommended like when I was listening to the, I was just recently listening to the episode. You recommended the episode Pelts, which I, I think involves like a coat of raccoon skins or something like I need to get into that. That sounds Meat, meatloaf is in it. It's a, yeah, it's that's a, what you said. You said meatloaf. So I was like, I'm in like, I'm down. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's other things in the master horrors that we should get into. There's a lot of other, um, anthology stuff that we should get into because we deserve a little bit of a break, uh, from our time, um, from getting through the first season of the eighties iteration of the twilight zone. That was a marathon. And by marathon, I mean three marathons. It was a lot. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, people, uh, I hope you enjoyed um, the, the the year of Carpenter talk. Uh, I realized that it's a little out of order uh, because Steve and I, we talked about Escape from New York a couple years ago when we were doing the year of the knockoff because we did that in the Bronx Warriors. So the chronology's off, but we've covered the bulk between uh, Steve, myself, and everybody else I've brought on. We've covered the bulk of Carpenter with the ward coming next month. It's been it's been a wonderful journey, and I'm glad that um that I'm finally able to like with the exception of the other two films I mentioned, I will get to for one of my favorite uh, creator creative people directors to finally be able to say that I've watched all of their output um in terms of their direct war output. I know there's other things they've written screenplays for that got produced, whatever. Um, it's it's a big thing. It's like it's it's it, it's kind of shitty to say that like one of your favorite directors. And you've not watched all of their stuff. That feels like not. It's not. It's not like removing street cred. But you know what I mean. Like, like you, like if you if you dig somebody, just why why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, it feels like your work is incomplete. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely gotten into conversations with you and watched things that I have never seen before of his career, and it is just a, it's a real treat to find something else that I like of his, yeah, like, uh, I mean, his filmography. I, I, I know that you and I, like maybe you weren't as in love with vampires, but it's a fun film, right? So I'm glad that you got to it, you know? And like, I, I think that in terms of his later output, like I think there's something worthy there. Um, and yeah, I just think that I, the thing with Carpenter's like, you know, you ask somebody like their favorite films, they, they like, there's like, what is it's Halloween, um, the thing and like escape from New York. I think that's like the big three that people always bring up. Right. Maybe, maybe big trouble in little China. Right. That's about it. Right. But it's like, dude's done so much more. Right. I, I was looking at my timeline recently. Christine too. I, I know. I know. I know. You and I, <laughs> we, ta- we talked about that during our cigarette burns episode. I, we, we adore Christine. Right. Like we love that. I mean, you were on here to talk about Christine when we were doing yeah. that episode. Um, sorry here as invasion, not, um, <laughs> strange. I was, but, um, just, you know, there's some, for somebody like he, he's made so many like amazing, important films. It's like, you know, it's also, I think it's also worthy of mentioning the misses because it's like, we're not all perfect, right? Like you and I, we've talked about, uh, Rod Serling and his output on the twilight zone. Um, he's had, he's had, uh, not swings and misses, but like not even a miss. It's like, it's missed so hard that it went behind the catcher. And it just disappeared behind the backstop and you never saw it again. You know, like, yeah, it's like, 
it's like you almost never got up to the square, you know? Yeah, uh, right. So, <laughs> I mean, I just, I think as a fan, I'm not saying you had to earn your stripes, but it's like, you know, sometimes you got to get, you got to get the sour at the sweet to really appreciate the sweet. I think that's where we're at. So, all right, that's going to do it for both episodes. <laughs> Double dipping. Um, Terry, um, tell people where that you can find all of us on Strange Highways and then I'll pimp uh, the other, like the other thing that I do. Uh, Strange Highways is uh, still uh, available to uh, contact us through Facebook and Instagram. We're on Instagram now. You can go ahead and check us out over there. We're having some fun. Um, Strange Highways is still available on lots of different formats. This is, if this is something that you are not typically listening to, um, you can find us on like Spotify even at this point. And the Google searches will find us. So, if, I mean, if you guys uh, have dug any of the conversations that my, myself and Paul have had, um, you can go ahead and check our other podcasts out over there. Cause I mean, it's a lot of fun. You and Steve do an amazing podcast. You and I do an okay podcast, but <laughs> so, what, what? <laughs> Bullshit. I, yeah. Well, you know, I bring it down the team, but yeah, I please check us out over there. Um, we're a, what an invading pod. No, no wait, the, strange highways podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. That's where you can email us directly. Wherever smoke you find signals, them. smoke signals. Yeah, it. no, no, Terry, you, goddamn, like we, like I feel cigarette like signals. you, you have yeah, cigarette, cigarette burn signals. No, you, like, like I, I, I asked you on like to join me on Strange Highways at like when we, like we were going to like the lowest of the lows of the Twilight Zone, and then I'm like, by the way, how about the age version? And it has been like, like I feel like it's like, hey, you're my friend. What if I punch you in the face repeatedly week after week after week? <laughs> like, <laughs> but we're friends, you know, so. Um, <laughs> it's only because I love you. Yeah, right. It's, um, <laughs> it's been, it's been um, to quote James Cameron, 40 miles of, of bad road, but whatever. I will never, I will never regret checking something out for the first time because you never know. Right. Like, yep. and, and there's still two more seasons of the 80s iteration of the Twilight Zone that you and I are going to go through. Um, and I know there's some, I know there's some gold in the hills, maybe not a lot, but there is some, um, and I, I would not want to do it with anybody else. So I yeah, do appreciate still, that. We're, yeah. At this point right now, we're still doing the detours and yes. uh, hitting the, the next season of the eighties version of the twilight. Yeah, Zone. We need a minute because okay. it took us a year and a half to get through that. So yeah. We, yeah. So, um, so yeah, um, but what we're doing on strange highways next, and then I'll talk about invasion. We're, we're talking about, uh, 1986 is the film, the hitcher. Uh, I cannot wait. Get some Rucker Hauer in here. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is a, oh, this is a, a mean movie. I cannot wait to talk about the Hitcher. And like, also, uh, it was Terry's birthday as of today as of this recording. So he gets to pick the next thing. And you mentioned the Hitcher. So we're doing the Hitcher. He just turned 23 and um, it's amazing. And 23 again. I can't <laughs> believe I was able to do it. Um, <laughs> 23 I, for the 17th time, you know, whatever. I, I stopped the hands of time uh, just for me. Um, <laughs> cause if I, if I had a power, it'd only work for me. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So yeah. Thank you for, uh, for having me on. Uh, and thank you for the choice <laughs> thank, of uh, the hitcher. Cause I'm going to, on, on the show that I'm going to release on strange highways. You're yeah, <laughs> like, well, you know, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> no, we're talking about the hitcher. So then, uh, so if you guys like this on invasion, the podcast, follow us on invading podcast, at gmail.com invasion, the podcast on Facebook, um, uh, follow Steve and his artwork on, on Etsy art of the slash 
Go, and also the com. Go buy his work. It's amazing. Um, but um, next week on Invasion of the Podcast, um, I'm going to have uh, Jeff from the Skewered Universe podcast. Um, and also, um, oh, was it? He's also part of the, the was it the Tales from the Crypt podcast. I forget the name right now, but it's off the top. Like I'm messing it up. But he, the Skewered Universe, Jeff. Because, um, Terry, you remember his wife, Leanne, was on one of our episodes of uh, Strange Highways talking about the Uncle Devil show. Um, Jeff's going to come on next week. And Trevor from the Theater of War podcast. And the, and the three of us are going to talk about the first season of Twisted Metal that is now on Peacock. It's going to be a lot of fun because they both have an affinity for the game. Uh, I need to get, dig back in to play because I love Twisted Metal. But I cannot wait to to talk about the the game and the series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I actually can't wait to listen to you guys talk about it because that is something that if I can get your guys' stamp of approval, then that will be me taking the plunge. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'll be uh, listening, uh, you know, closely. <laughs> yeah. So that's going to do it for uh, us this week um, for both shows. Um, everybody have a good week, have a safe week, and in the meantime, um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Don't protect the baby. That's not what I'm, that should I shouldn't say that. <laughs> don't don't go off the handle. Jesus.